welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most charmed work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we're here to talk about Lost for Words, chapters 1.1 and 1.2, and the Ooh. bonus little bit after that. Um, the, the proper start of the story. Yeah, and holy shit, do we have a lot to get through. These yeah. these chapters are shockers. No time for dilly-dallying, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of info in these chapters, a lot to process. We're getting the mm-hmm. stage set for us. We're kind of, you know, setting the scene, um, seeing who all the major players are. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot to, to theory craft about, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I guess let's go through it chronologically and we'll hit our <laughs> theories as we get to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the easiest <laughs> way to do it. Um, Yes, so we lay our scene with Fair Verona, who is a young girl who is hardly doing chores before her dad gets home so she can sneak away for the weekend and learn magic. Um, And she's also being uh, creeped out, creeped on by uh, the faceless woman. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, actually, she's kind of remarkably being not creeped out by the faceless woman. Yes, she's being creeped on, but not creeped out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and she kind of has this reaction of, of basically just muttering under her breath about like, oh, I could take you. Come on, is, are you going to attack me? I could take you, basically. I, I <laughs> wouldn't even, much... I, I would have framed it differently. It's not I can take you. It's just like, oh, you know, if you're going to kill me, could you hurry it up? Like, Yeah, get I've, it over with. I, yeah, yeah, you know, either do it or don't. Like, I've got shit to get done. Yeah. Yeah, which is an interesting reaction. Like, obviously, they've met. Like, when I first read this, I thought, oh, this is somebody that's just kind of, they've seen this person around a few times and starting to get creeped out by them. But it, no, we found out that they've met and interacted and spoken before. Um, but yeah, Verona is just kind of nervously talking to herself about this, right? Not actually saying it to the faceless woman's face, uh, but just kind of talking to herself about it and kind of not hyping herself up, but just like letting off nervous steam. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very like... You know that you know there's there's like that hero trope of like the hero who's sort of sarcastically or snarks at the in the face of danger. That's kind <laughs> yeah. of kind of what she's doing. Um, yeah, like it, it was a big thing in Stargate. That's that's sort of the example I'm picturing in my head. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I mean, should we just should we just dive into talking about Verona a bunch? Because like mm. most of this chapter, I think, really is just introducing us to Verona specifically as she tidies up yeah. her house. Yeah. Um, and like, so she has this phone call with Lucy, like for, for a lot of it. And sort of right off the bat, she's like chiding Lucy for not watching what she's saying already. So I was immediately kind of pegging her as probably the more like cautious cautious one. Yeah. Or like detail oriented, maybe. Yeah. Um, she's, she seems observant. I I don't know. Mm. Um, Mm. she, she seems to maybe not be as mission focused focused as Lucy. Like Lucy, for these two chapters, is very on task and like you know wants to get on with the investigation. Whereas Verona's just kind of trying to take it all in, I suppose. Yeah, uh, interesting. It's it's Verona who picks the scissors, right? Yeah. And we, yeah. again, we're jumping way ahead, but it's interesting the beat that we get of these people in their own head versus the way we see them. Yeah. Kind of outside of their own head, I think is something that's going to be very interesting to keep tabs on. Because Verona, you're right, definitely gives like cautious, kind of careful vibes here. But later on, she picks the scissors and it seems to have almost been an afterthought to her. Like it's very much she just kind of jumped in or she's she seems to express that she's willing to jump in with both feet kind of and, and get stuck into it, which is 
not what I would say is, you know, detail oriented and, and careful in this. Like it's, it's, it's a bit of a disconnected impression that I get of her. And I'm interested to see how I'm, how I'm going to reconcile those and where I'm going to land on her character later on. Yeah. I you know because when she's selling the scissors later, um, she sort of talks about how she's good at thinking on her feet and like improving mm. basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. There's like, I, I definitely had a bit of a tendency as I was reading this to latch on to every minor detail about how she goes about her life and extrapolate it to like a major simplification and, and like statement about her as an entire person. Yes. Um, so I've maybe got to fight that instinct a bit more. And as you say, just kind of what, what should see what happens. Um, I mean, they're definitely some that I think are meant to jump out to us. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, she has the whole bit with her dad and the birthday card yeah where God. she's sort of like no i Hard did say read. i'm thankful for you many months ago when i wrote it yeah. on your birthday card and it's such like a, a petty and semantic argument that i was just like verona what are you talking about she has a few petty moments in this chapter yeah. doesn't she i mean in fairness though she's 13 which is like the most petty age for anyone to be so oh yeah i know for sure there's, there's gonna be a lot of statements where it's sort of like yeah okay they're 13 year old girls but then also it's like oh shit they're 13 year old they're making all these you know they've just done a ceremony yeah. which now means they can't lie and their word is like their bond and they've agreed to sign up for this job for life basically so <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of like we can't just look past the fact they're 13 because they've just yeah. committed themselves to like some pretty serious stakes yeah <sighs> yeah um i guess should we touch on I mean, we haven't really got a, per a point for this in the notes, but just, like, we've met the main characters now, and I just love them so much. <laughs> they're all so good. Yeah, they're great, aren't they? Um, yeah, I, like, we haven't even been inside Avery's head yet. I'm assuming yeah. 1.3 is just going to be an Avery chapter and that mm. we're sort of moving through them in, in sequence. Um, mm. I can't wait for that. Like, I can't wait because... Lucy and Verona are like the childhood best friends, and then Avery's sort of the add-on. Like, and we'll get we'll, we'll touch on that yeah. more later. But seeing yeah. the other two from Avery's perspective is probably going to be the most interesting. <laughs> I'm excited yes. for her being left last. I'm terrified to hear how Avery thinks of herself in her own internal. Oh world. God, no! Oh, why <laughs> did we'll you say get that? To that. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, yeah. Um, oh, okay. Go, going back to Verona. Um, yeah. Like one of the other things I think we're meant to read into is she goes on for at length about like this this whole thing with her clothes so she doesn't have yeah. many clothes she has she, she prefers to have like a small wardrobe that's like distinctly her stuff um yeah it's like you know you know i i get that um yeah and uh, well okay again we're jumping around a bit here but we we learn later on the the kind of way that you're dealing with others they they've or spirits um they kind of form a consistent picture of you and we also learn Verona seems to be the most keen on jumping in. And the fact that she has like a few sets of clothes that are uniquely hers seems like it will help her define a strong identity for herself. Which yeah. presumably means she'll be good at practicing. That was, yeah, that that's exactly my thought. I, especially, I, I'm interested to see how that will interact with uh, the fact that one of the things that happens is they don't do the ceremony naked. They do it in the clothes and they're told yes. that because they've done it like that, they probably sort of need to be dressed up like that to effectively like practice. Yes, um, is is the vibe that I got from um, Miss. So, yeah. on the one hand, you know, could be good because Verona doesn't like to change outfits that much anyway. Um, yep. On the other hand, they picked fucking witches' hats and 
capes and cloaks and shit. Like they've they've dressed up in these goofy outfits. Yeah, it's not now... the most subtle practitioner outfit, huh? <laughs> and it's not even like they can wear it under their regular clothes and no. swap it out. You can't wear a fucking what are you just going to carry around a witch's hat with you twenty four seven? Like, are they going to have to bring them? in their bag to school in case they need to do practicing I mean, business yes, in school. Right. They need to. So uh, <laughs> my read on it is the more of that outfit they're wearing, the more they'll be able to kind of tap into their abilities. Right. Which yeah, means same. they'll at least have to carry around their masks everywhere they go. I mean, yeah, yeah, probably like, cause even, you know, you may not need it at school, but if, if something comes up at lunch and you know, you have to talk to miss in, in the playground yeah. or something, she's going to have to have that mask in her bag, which is definitely going to raise questions. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm just gonna say it, Elliot. Putting aside the fact that they're thirteen, they should have just done the ritual naked. It's, it was a mistake. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would seem that way. Like, just thinking for know. myself, I can't imagine wanting to commit to anything, even as someone who has already finished going through puberty, which yeah. I feel is also a very important part of the whole staying in an outfit situation yeah totally um like i still don't know if i'd want to commit to a single outfit for yeah five years for your life yeah, <laughs> yeah. um, um what, uh, yeah although i do i must say i do really love the iconography of the masks the cloaks and the hats yes. later on in the awakening ceremony it's it's very cool <laughs> yeah and we'll definitely cover that later um but the last thing i want to touch on is where is we're talking about verona here is um I mean, obviously, the other sort of thing about this whole segment is she's doing all these chores um, and she just yeah. fucking hates it. Like, she hates... Yeah. I, I guess I describe it as, like, doing maintenance. Like, she doesn't she doesn't like the idea of doing something which is, you know, just existing to be undone, mm. um, which is interesting for someone who's kind of just taken on a role to maintain the status quo in this town. Mm. I don't know. Again, may, am I reading too much into this? Well, that's probably what you're listening for, I hope, because that's probably what you're going to be getting a lot of. Um, <laughs> that's what this show's all about. Yeah. Well, because, again, like that sort of conflicts a little with the whole haircut thing. Like, you know, she yeah. she tries to keep herself the same. There's all the stuff where she's outgrowing her clothes. And it's like, you know, she's, yeah. she's this weird disconnect between her, like, you know, again, in the ritual, jumping ahead, she... She doesn't want to be tied to her past self, but then also all this stuff with her clothes, she's, like, really upset. She doesn't want to leave these clothes. She just, she kind of wants to be static. So she doesn't want to be tied down to the past, but she also doesn't seem to be looking forward. Like, I I, I, I can't put it all together yet, but I'm so interested to see where, as you said, where where we sit on Verona in, like, an arc from now. Yeah, to latch onto the idea of Verona not liking having to clean up, it it even, it is even that, it, it's, it seems like the reason she doesn't like cleaning up is because things just get messy again, which yeah, to me yeah. is kind of a statement about like entropy and fighting to again kind of keep the world order as it is. Which uh, I guess we'll have to see how that plays into it. But I'm interested. I think that's an interesting kind of set of seeds that so- sort of flow together to tell us a bit about the way that she might interact with this world. Yeah, because. My understanding of the job they've just signed up for is it's probably going to be a lot of that. Yeah, kind of sticking to the status quo, making sure things stay yeah. the same. Cleaning up magical messes rather than a dining table or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. There's just, there's a lot of like, I, I'm just so tempted to read into everything, but I guess we've just got to wait and see. Um, I, I, obviously, though, the other side to the chore thing is she does say, 
Well, she gets a bit of a kick out of the recognition from her dad. Yeah. Um, like, that's sort of the one thing where it seems like she's sort of like, this could have all been worth it is, is you know, getting... If get- it's appreciated. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, getting yeah. the recognition for doing the work. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. To kind of lead into it, when she's on the call with Lucy and Lucy's talking about, oh, you're coming to meet us, her response is, yep, I'm all packed up, just have to make sure I can leave without incident. And Lucy responds, good luck. Lucy knows what's going on here. Um, but it, it just leads into the scene of Verona and, and builds the narrative that we start to see of Verona working so hard to, like, really outdo herself, right? Like, really to impress her dad. And it just doesn't work. <laughs> it's so sad. Um yeah, so Verona's dad comes home and kind of it starts inspecting the house and all the chores she's done. And even as she sees that he can't find something to fault her on, he eventually finds, like, it takes him four attempts before he finds something to fault her on. And yeah, it's, it, there's it's a, no recognition of her hard work there. It's, it's brutal. It's a very fun four beat because it's sort of like uh, over the first three, you kind of get your hopes up and you're like, oh, yeah, she's you know, done it. Yeah. everything's coming up Verona. And then he's just like, oh, the the lawn's getting a bit, and it's just like it just sort of cuts to Verona frowned at her dad, and I was like, yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's such a shitty one as well. Like the fucking lawn, are you kidding me? It's getting a bit too long. It's barely. I don't know. We don't get confirmation of this, but I think the lawn is probably fine, and that's just the closest <laughs> thing he could find to an excuse. Yeah, well, let's dive into the her relationship with her dad because sort of going through yeah. the notes, I think we had uh, slightly different reads on on how we should be picturing the dad at the moment, which is fun. I had quite a negative read on him, I think. I Like, I don't think he's the worst guy in the world. Obviously, he's doing a lot of work to support Verona and their little family, but the relationship that he has with Verona isn't an alliance. It seems to me that the relationship that he has with Verona is he sees himself as Verona's, like, taskmaster, right? Mm. Um, which isn't a good relationship to have with your child it's not it's not familial it's not close it's hey i'm the boss of you and oh you've done work well okay but i didn't micromanage you to do that work so i have to give you some more otherwise i don't feel like i'm checking off my box as a boss and it's like it's it feels dehumanizing like it's not there's no connection there there's no emotional connection it's a i have to do the things that a father does because that's what a father does and that's what i am yeah, so, yeah, because it's interesting. I don't disagree with a lot of that. Like, uh, I don't think either of them is doing, um, like, a stellar do- job at empathizing with the other, is how I would say it. I agree, um, but one of them is a 13-year-old yeah, exactly. girl, one, one, and one, one of them's of, an adult. One of them's a child, so she gets a bit more of a pass. Yeah. Um, no, so, like, I completely agree that he's, he's sort of failing to some extent. Uh, I, I got more of an impression that just has to do with the fact that he's so overworked and stressed that mm. um, not not just taking it out on Verona, I'd say, but, like, he, he's just, like, this is just the only way he knows to communicate. Like, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't think it's just him being lazy or whatever. I just don't think... Maybe he just doesn't mm. really know what to do. I, I don't know. Like, <sighs> he spends a lot of his time uh, with her here, like, sort of bitching about the way other people on his team aren't sort of doing the right thing or or you know how they're not following through on their word and it's like i just 
I'd be willing to bet we could go down to his workplace and find out he's not known around the the office as the the most you know amazing communicator they have on staff. Yeah, like, I I agree with that. Um, like I I so I guess we kind of think the same thing. I just took more of a view of just kind of feeling sorry for him because I just think he doesn't know what else to do and he's tired and stressed mm. and he just this stuff needs to get done. He doesn't have it in him to do it. He probably feels like he has to fight Verona to get it done. And he doesn't realize that's only because of the way he's trying to get it done. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think you're extending more sympathy to him than I would. I, yeah. I agree that he's probably reacting poorly because he is overworked. But uh, it's like, it's the lawn. It's like, it's <laughs> honestly, of all the jobs, it's like the least important one, right? I, I mean, I guess it depends where you where you're from. Uh, I mean, I grew up with two parents who are fucking obsessed with the garden. They still are. Every time yeah. I go over to their place, they're going on and on about their garden. I like it. it but gardening is a hobby. Mowing the lawn is a chore. Uh, yeah, but it's the same. Like I don't know. There's no point doing the rest of the gardening if you're going to let your lawn get all like uneven and, and long. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. No, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I think we, we just disagree on how much sort of sympathy uh, the dad yeah. deserves. I, I just think he just needs a bit of a break. I'd be interested to learn what happened with Verona's mum and like why she's not in the picture, I suppose, as well. Well, it's, it's a divorce, right? We get a line from, from the dad where he says like her mum isn't sending as much money as she should be or something like yeah, that, yeah. which gives me like alimony divorce vibes, obviously. Same. Um. But there's obviously more of a story there. Actually, I'll I'll talk about that when we get to a bit later. But there's something that makes there's a few beats that hint at some of the backstories that these girls have in their lives that that make me very interested to learn more. Yeah, because because I just think like the, the reason I sort of brought this up like is it's very much it seems to be just the two of them. Like there's the whole conversation about how the nearest family is like six hours away. So I think like that's the other part of it is like there's no there's no other support. There's no grandparents there. to lean on or, yeah. or whatever else. Like there's you know the take the old adage like it takes a village to raise a child or whatever like they they don't they don't seem to have access to that and it'd be interesting to learn a bit more about maybe why that is yeah totally um yeah so we get this point where (laughs) where verena is thinking about the town and thinking about who would want to be here she kind of has this like drive to escape basically and she's thinking about who would want to live here. And the first people she thinks would be, oh, criminals who would appreciate this is a nowhere town and therefore they can lie low here. <laughs> or idiots. Or as her third thought, stoner snowboarders who do nothing and then work the slopes for, for the ski season. Um, and I just think it's interesting that her mind went to criminals first before <laughs> like snowboarders or like seasonal workers. Yeah, based, which on is the, like, based on the brochure. You assume this is like a, a ski town, like a major yes. part of this town's business infrastructure is presumably yeah. around having tourists come to ski every six months or every, you know, every winter. Yeah. So you think that would define the nature of the town a bit more in her head? Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that criminals went first. Again, like there are a few beats throughout this story where I'm. Something feels slightly off, and I don't, I can't quite put my finger on what it says, but it's just kind of a, a bit of a weird thing to keep an eye on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, shockingly, I think this might be a story that we'll get a lot out of a reread on. Um, yeah, being a mystery and all uh, for no other reason. But um, <laughs> I mean, I kind of viewed this maybe as like a bit of an insight into uh 
Verona and how she sees the world. As we sort of said, you know, she's a 13-year-old girl. Her uh, empathy skills may not have fully matured as much as, mm. as they could have. And it's kind mm. of like, like criminal might be the first reason she could see herself being here. Yeah, interesting. Like, like that, that would be my read on why it would be that order. So like, you know, idiots or stoner snowboard snowboarder types she may not see those two as particularly distinct which is why snowboarder also comes after idiot um so like for her it's like the only value she could see out of this town is the fact that you can lie low here yeah um and i mean she's not wrong i mean (laughs) like we're about to meet not criminals well uh, possibly one or more criminals but you know like these are at best fugitives or people hiding from the system they are trying to lay low at least um yeah so, you know she she kind of hit the nail on the head when it came she to got it bang on yeah, the totally. underbelly of the town yeah yeah true there is a seedy underbelly trying to lay low and that is the people we're about to meet uh, yep. or people in equids <laughs> um so verona yeah gets out of the house and meets up with lucy and then later avery as they head to their uh, 5 30 spooky meeting yeah, and I love how, like, we've already sort of mentioned, you know, we're, we're going to learn that Avery is kind of the third wheel in this friendship. Yeah. Um, but you, you already start to get that vibe when, like, when we first meet Lucy, Verona's like, oh, she's my BFF. And, of course, my first thought was, well, what about Avery? Um, and then as as they sort of, like, they have a very natural dynamic, Verona and Lucy. They just were working off each other. And then as yeah. soon as Avery comes in, Verona's like watching for lines being crossed and and stuff like that. So there was already this sort of sense subconsciously in my head that Avery was someone they had to be a bit more careful with. And then, of course, then you find out that she's like the new member of the pack. And it's like, oh, okay, like this this makes sense. And we're already a little bit primed for it. Like it's it's, it's clever. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not just that, but it sets up, I think, a, a flaw of Avery's, which is that she just doesn't kind of get the inherent and implicit social dynamics of some of these situations um yeah yeah let's talk more about avery as we get to her speech during the uh, awakening ceremony because yeah, yeah we'll, sure we'll, we'll dive into that a lot i think cool um so yeah we we meet lucy and you know lucy's our point of view character in the next chapter that we're going to cover uh, but because of that it's interesting to look at how she's characterized now in uh, verona's mind versus how she's characterized in her chapter in her own mind and right. I think when when one point two first came out, a lot of the comments that I saw were around like, "Oh, these three are smarter than they seem. They're clever," and especially Lucy as a kind of um, vector for that. But in this chapter, at least at the start, Lucy it, it comes across very frustrated and potentially impulsive with mm. the way that she's kind of cursing out uh, <laughs> uh, Avery. Right? Yeah, I I would have used the the word impulsive to describe Lucy. Um... In, in in this chapter for sure um and i think I, I think it fits like she doesn't focus on it as much uh in her own perspective obviously so it doesn't come across but like you know verona is still digging her nails into her arm when you know when they're sort of like do you agree to let us into your world during the ritual mm. and lucy's the one who's like with provisions and that's when yeah. verona's like oh shut up and like you know for, from lucy's perspective it just feels like oh, you know, we had to. And she's probably right. That was probably one of the smartest things any of them has done in these first two chapters. Mm. But, like, you know, it's that kind of... It it was a very impulsive thing that she did. Um, And I don't think it's a a coincidence that she's the one who did it. So I think impulsive... I think she's smart, but I think think she does have a bit of a a rash streak in her. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
um, I guess impulsive people don't think they're impulsive. They just think everyone is too slow. Well, they're just too busy <laughs> doing it. Like from her perspective, yeah. she's just doing it. She's not thinking, oh, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then obviously we should touch on Avery and how she's just too pure for this world. And yeah. I'm very upset that she's now a wild bow protagonist. <laughs> yeah. That, well, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the bit where Verona sees Lucy and we get this beat of whenever Verona didn't see her best friend for a few days, she somehow imagined her as having pink in her hair. No idea why, no rationale, but it was something that had been consistent since kindergarten. Yep. Just going to put a pin in that and we'll get back to it later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this will come up later. Um, yeah. Uh, something else to notice here, though, is uh, something I did notice in Verona's chapter. All of her descriptions of people focused a lot on hair. Mm. Um, like, I don't know if you know, like, like when she's talking about her dad as well, she mentions Avery's as well. Like she she seems to focus specifically on hair when she's describing people and, like, tying it to their personality. Like, she definitely views it as an important part of self-expression. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we learn that she's been maintaining her identical haircut since the start of the year. Like, she got yeah. this one and she's just been um, in maintenance mode on that uh, ever since. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess this will be something to sort of keep an eye on because it's it's definitely important to Verona, at least. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's very interesting that she sees hair as self-expression, but hers has stayed the same for some amount of time, some extended period of time, at least. Yeah, well, you know, and she does the same with her clothes, kind of, but she doesn't seem to focus on other people's clothes quite as much yeah. compared to, like, Lucy, who, in, in Lucy's chapter, Lucy's always talking about, like, people's facial expressions and sort of how yeah. world-weary they look, I guess. Yeah, the the hints that their expressions kind of betray. Yeah, exactly. Like, she's always looking at what people's faces say about them, whereas Verona was much more focused on what people are presenting with themselves presenting in an, in themselves and focusing specifically on hair man i didn't realize how often the word hair comes up in this chapter i've just searched it comes up 26 times 25 yeah. times i'm telling you like, it feels it, like if, a lot if you go back and read it she she opens almost every description of a person with what their hair is like interesting definitely something to keep an eye on yeah um yeah so avery joins the group as they're heading off and uh yeah i, I think Despite Avery being the newcomer, I think their chemistry is pretty good. Like, they're yeah. quickly... It's apparent that they're quickly becoming good friends. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair to say. I mean, and based on what we're sort of learning about, like, I, I think these three are going to be tied together in a very tangible way after this yeah. um, ceremony. And so I, th I think it would have to be that way. Like, I can't imagine... Like, we don't know much about the motives of all these others, but I think to some degree they need these three girls to be at least effective enough to stay alive. Um, so yeah. that, like, because the whole, I believe the others, when they say they need the girls so that they can lie to everyone else and say, oh, the town's practitioners are doing it. So they yeah. need the three girls to at least be stable enough so that they can stay alive for an optimal, optimal amount of time. Yeah. Um, and and so that wouldn't work probably if you know they wanted to kill each other after a few years. Um, yes. So I assume Miss would have put some effort into making sure the trio were actually going to be compatible. Yeah, it would actually gel. Um, it's been what five weeks since the initial incident in the prologue. So um, yeah, presumably that time has been vetting candidates. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like these three may not have been the only ones who were approached. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah i actually just while we're on avery i just want to touch on the fact like um miss says oh we picked uh three of you because three is a better number than two and i mean i i i believe her i but i don't believe that's all of it you know what i mean like uh, my first thought as i was sort of reading about the, the three of them and learning that avery was new is like if you've got this third person in like avery's always going to have this little bit of insecurity about the fact that she's the third wheel mm. um especially given what we learn about her and her like history with friends um i think that's going to be an insecurity that the others can play off of if they need to yeah, um, you think it's intentional I, I for there do. to be a bit of a rift in the group. I, a rift that they can exploit if they need to, but that won't yeah. be a problem if they want to leave it. And and similarly, like, I mean, the other two girls are very close, but, like, that, it could go the other way, right? Like, if, if um, Verona sees Lucy and a- Avery starting to hang out a little bit more and, and thinks they're getting close and she's being left behind, like, you'd yeah. be able to exploit basically the same insecurity um like i've watched i've watched enough seasons of survivor to see that exact thing play out um (laughs) so the fact that they're children yes makes them less of a threat to the others but also makes them more easily manipulated right oh like yeah i'd assume that's a factor and uh, like that's again another one of those those things where miss is like oh yes i picked you because you were children because you'd be less of a threat to us and it's like but also because we can be more controlling of you is is definitely an unsaid yeah. Uh, sort of piece of that yeah definitely um should we touch about this touch on this uh app this <laughs> yeah. app yeah that that's a whole gets thing. mentioned here it's an app called class underscore ranker um which is which, just a mess of a name i do not, yeah I do not first like of all name. it's got an underscore in the app name like what the yeah. fuck is going on here camel case camel case yeah. master race yeah um i think the the thing about this to me is it gets enough time spent on it in this chapter that I it feels like it's not just world building. It feels like it feels like it's gonna come back in some way. I don't know how, but it feels like it's gets enough time that it's just too much for it to be just a piece of background world information. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it it's a wild boy thing, so it's not just introducing the app, like, you know, we, we get some stuff like yes. like we learn a bit about the tastes of the three girls in terms of significant others. Yep. Um like i think like because verona has the interesting one where she doesn't necessarily pick boys that she's actually interested in she picks ones she's worried won't get many votes Mm. and she does she does find things she likes about them but i almost felt like that was more just justifying why they're not complete trash yeah Um, but like i i don't know i i definitely feel i mean i i heard that this thing existed in the story and i was like well thank fuck smartphones didn't exist when i was a kid (laughs) it's such a nightmare yeah because this is like you know, you can see this. You're right. I, I could see this coming back because if this blows up in their class and they're so suddenly in the position where they can't lie to people, um, oh god, they're like you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, yep. So that that might be very fun as an audience to to watch the the shit hit the fan in that regard. <sighs> yeah, it's really just going to be a mess, right? Um, <laughs> the part that I think is potentially especially messy is the way Avery interacts with some of this stuff. I, yeah. I kind of touched on the fact that it feels like she doesn't, you know, because she was homeschooled, we find out. I don't think she has a kind of grasp of implicit social, like, dynamics, especially when you're a student and these things can be especially punishing. Um, I just am worried that Avery is going to really 
fuck something up, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Avery was my first example of the insecurity they could, the others could exploit um, for yeah. a reason. It's because she... Yeah, um, yeah sorry. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, this whole Miss Hardy thing that, yeah. that comes up with Avery, it's just, you're just like, oh, she's so innocent and naive and i'm just so worried <sighs> for her yeah feels very exploitable i mean not yeah. even just by the others in town but by i don't know anybody <laughs> yeah 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 um so yeah the trio arrive together and start kind of meeting and interacting with the rest of the Kennet others it seems like they've only met miss so far so they kind of get their introduction to everybody else yeah and i, I like the way the girls uh they can't quite see the others at this point so we sort of get slowly introduced to the whole cast um in in bits and pieces and focusing on the more human aspect aspects first um like i don't know it's just a fun way to kind of ease us into you know what is a pretty intense and crazy cast of characters yeah we do i definitely feel like we're getting eased in i don't feel like i have a clear picture of really how any of them operate or or like what their interpersonal dynamics are and i guess that's not what these first two chapters are here to set up i think we'll see more of that as the group kind of interviews them but yeah we've um, quite literally just gotten the cliff notes on all these others yeah exactly um yeah, the, and the cliff notes are very intriguing. Um, one of my favourites to theorise about is the one that we later learn is called John, the dog of war. Um, mm. And when Verona is looking at him, the description she gives of him is, it wasn't like he was a familiar face, but she felt like there might have been a time at a big event when she'd seen him, thought he looked scary or intense, and then never had occasion to think about him again. And I think that we could take that on its face as, as the initial service layer of what it means. But I think this is kind of saying something else. It kind of feels to me like if John is a dog of war, I don't know what exactly that is, but presumably some like war spirit, right? Um, this indicates to me then that V would have had like a moment where not necessarily her, but other people in her life had this thing that was close to a war, right? Uh, uh, something interpersonal, some kind of all-out fight. And immediately the thought that came to mind is the divorce of her parents, which feels like it could have been a messy one based on what we know of it so far. I, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of feeling like the fact that she recognizes him feels significant in some way. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see. We'll learn more about what the hell a dog of war is. Yeah, totally. Um you're right i could totally see it being something where he's maybe attracted or appears around conflict or, or whatever yeah um and and, and that yeah, yeah wait so that might sort of be what you're talking about um i i guess we'll see yeah we'll see um we also meet charles who used to be the sole practitioner of kennet um and that's fun we learned that things that do people do do magic are called practitioners not wizards <laughs> oh thank god we have that word back <laughs> yes we already knew that word it was just fun calling the wizards for a chapter um we get a beat where charles as charles is talking someone in the background we don't see who it is says what's your tone cullion worm and charles kind of goes a bit pale at this and we don't we don't know who it is but somebody is one of these others is quite clearly a bit malicious my first thought was the fairy because they seem the scariest but who knows See, I, I, my guess, and the person I think is the scariest, um, aside from the ritual, uh, the children. The hungry choir. Yes. Um, yeah. 
they're, they're, they're scary in a different way that doesn't involve talking um yeah. my guess would be um uh, the mayor um, it's like Aladoc Ala- or something alapina <laughs> or something Ala- yeah alapina i think is right oh god why can't i alpiana alpiana or alpi for short yeah alpi yeah my guess was alpi i've been calling her spider girl in my head because she they yeah. said she kind of jerks and moves like a spider yes um yeah i i don't know um I mean, I guess we'll see, but she seems to kind of fit the spooky monster bill just about more than anyone else. Mm. Um, yeah. I, okay, I'm staking my claim here early. This is a mystery. So what kind of show would we be if we didn't start to predict who's, who's the culprit? Oh, God. <laughs> I think it's Charles, okay? And here's my evidence. And maybe the word evidence is a bit generous, but here's my <laughs> thoughts. Um, first of all, the way Miss Talks gives the impression that he was forsworn for lying, but she doesn't explicitly say it. And I don't think that, I think that's the case. I think he actually was forsworn for a lie, but it just, there's enough of it that is still mysterious that I'm, I want to learn more about it. The fact oh, that yeah. he was forsworn is interesting to me because force, being forsworn feels very important. It's not something that could happen kind of accidentally. It's a decision that he seems to have made. Um, and it also, in, interestingly, gives him the ability to lie. He's the only character that can lie. And when you're asking an investigation, you know, I, I feel like the first question they're going to ask is, do you know more than you're letting on? <laughs> right. <laughs> and only one person can answer that and still be the culprit. And that's Charles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I, yeah, I, Wildbo is clever at this stuff than I am. I'm not going to try and enter some dueling mind game where we try and predict what Wildbo's thinking because I know I'm going to lose. So I'm just not. I'm just not going to play his game. Charles, um, I'm calling. I've it. narrowed. I've narrowed the suspects down to somewhere between and including none and all of them. Yeah, um, you think it's every one of them work together to kill the Carmine Beast? I, I mean. It fucking could be. I don't it know. Could be. Like, that's, it that, really could be. This is how much I've checked out of trying to play these mind games. Is I like I could picture a scenario where it was all of them. I can picture a scenario where it's someone we haven't seen. Yeah. Um. I think someone mentioned to me the other day. You know, we never see where the milk goes in the ceremony. Um, <laughs> yes. So like, w- was there an other who they just didn't my, remember? Okay. I, my interpretation of that was just that, like, the food in the ceremony is a bit like transitory and if the hungry choir all take beef like even if there was milk left when they walked up and they started taking beef as long as they took something that the stocks depleted whether it was the exact same thing or not you know i mean there was extra meat created right so exactly like there's maybe just a sense of when the ritual is over all the food is gone exactly yeah or maybe there's there's a secret other character (laughs) that drinks milk it's some kind of demon cat possibly that's the thing like i just have absolutely zero faith in my ability to pierce this veil so i'm just i'm I'm just gonna give up don't even try fair (laughs) enough um the other interesting beat from these introductions is uh uh, I, I think it's Verona who says that, uh, that that part of the deal is that the others will keep them from whatever happened to Matthew and Edith. And Matthew's response today is, oh, no, it was a decision. Like, he decided to become an other. And maybe we'll get a bit more beats about this in the notes on others section. But it's just so strange to me. Like, all of these others seem to have really interesting stories that can be dived into. Except maybe the goblins, but they're fun enough that that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're operating on a different axis. 
Um, yeah. I agree. I think Matthew and Edith has been the question I want answered the most since the prologue, and, and yeah. it remains so. Like, not that there's not a hundred other questions I desperately want answered. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this is the one where I've been sitting here and I'm like, can, can we just do the Matthew and Edith stuff, please? Like, I, I've got to know. <laughs> Maybe that's the main mystery. We'll uh, we'll learn who killed the Carmine Beast <laughs> in chapter four or five, but we'll never quite learn what the deal is with Matthew and Edith. That would be so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we we learn a bit more about why these three are being brought being brought in here um basically the way that, that the ken and others work is they're kind of a, a bit of a democratic government seemingly uh that is ruled by others and they specifically don't want practitioners to come in and ruin it to bind to them to make deals with them to fuck their their stuff up so they need to have practitioners around that aren't a threat that they can basically point to and say oh no we've got practitioners they're handling it basically yeah so the uh, seemingly the usual practitioner mo is to rock up and kind of take charge and like yeah they they, they say like bind and enslave all the others yeah so or even just hunt the more unruly ones like the goblins you know yeah exactly so they're this little commune this is a bit of a sanctuary is sort of the frame yeah. that we get yeah god i would just love it if that's true don't believe it but nevertheless <laughs> um yeah we've got this little sanctuary commune business going on and you're right they they basically need some sort of practitioners around as like plausible deniability or something like yeah just, totally yeah as you said just so they can say oh we've got practitioners on it and those practitioners ideally are just you know three teenage girls just, who they can yeah. manipulate yeah. um or, or a guy who's forsworn that they can stick like you know diabetes symptoms into <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess we'll get to it, but like the, I, I kind of have been treating it a bit like a co-op in my head. Like, yeah, there, there seems to be, you know, the way they divide the the, um, they say that they take on like ownership or something of of the girls when the girls like see them. Like, if you're the one who lets someone yes. know magic is real, there's yeah. there's some sort of responsibility or something on your head when you do that, and yeah. they like they divvy it up. They seem to sort of be making decisions as a group to some extent. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been sort of treating them as like a co-op where they all they're all voting and stuff. What's interesting is the way it's framed in the ritual. I kind of got the impression the girls are almost just joining the co-op. Like there's a lot of talk yes, equals definitely. and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that could be a fun aspect because obviously within the co-op they're going to have a specific title and specific like job to do. Yeah. But also just them being you know the three new members of what is seemingly a fairly established group um is going to be very fun potentially yeah i i really find this a very interesting idea the idea of this kind of ruling council of monsters that preside over this town <laughs> and it it makes me wonder what does life look like for you if you're not awakened in this town like you know uh, is miss going around eating people is she that kind of monster <laughs> or did, are, are they the kind of council that's they, they've like set up like fishing limits i don't know what to call them but like you know you can't <laughs> yeah, overfish yeah. the humans in this town because <laughs> otherwise it'll cause enough trouble that people are going to come and check it out uh, but again kind of looking at it you know matthew and edith live and work in the town like they're fairly innocuous and and we other have other characters like we learned that um toad swallow instead of doing normal goblin things or maybe instead of maybe in addition to but seemingly instead of doing normal goblin things he's kind of like a teacher right <laughs> like we get these weird beats oh, no, he's like, like um i i yeah yeah no teacher i don't know I was teacher matchmaker 
yeah. a clown almost yeah. like you summon him to but it's not even that like he's 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 like baby's first goblin from the sounds of it like if you want to yeah. train your train your kid to be able to work with goblins you can summon him as someone who i guess will promise not to be too harsh on them yeah but that see this is again more beats of like these aren't like these are monsters but they're not monstrous i mean yes. like some of I them imagine- seem fairly innocuous I imagine that's a very core part of why Kenneth is able to work. Like if you, if you did have an other who was uh, a bit more inclined to go on a murder spree, um, yeah, it would probably be a lot less sustainable. Like I imagine part of this commune, you know, they're they're risking bringing three new practitioners on board to try and figure out who killed the Carmine Beast, and yeah, I have to imagine like part of those because like you know they've got to maintain their balance. It's a town of five thousand people. If you start killing ten or twenty. That's just gonna have to get noticed. Yeah, totally. So, you're right. Like, I I would guess that none of these others rely on killing people to survive. Like, none of them are vampires or werewolves or whatever. Yes. But there's also probably, as you say, fishing limits on like how much they're allowed to fuck with the humans as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because they you we'll don't want to disturb the peace. Yeah, um, and I guess the final thing we learn is Miss explicitly confirms someone in this group uh, is responsible for murdering the Carmine Beast, or kind of. I- I'm willing to take that at face value, but it could still be yeah. a, f- a trick. Um, yes. <laughs> the the wording is that the energy hasn't left Kennet, which means, you know, whoever killed the Carmine Beast is still around, which means it's probably one of the others because they would know if someone else had come to town, but maybe there's somebody who they wouldn't know if they'd come to town or maybe the common beast is like still alive somehow or something's going on there. Um, well, she specifically mentions that death is a bit less of a Boolean concept for some of these powerful others. Yeah. Like they sort of question that and she's like, no, the common beast energy is still around. Like you, you don't just kill something like this. Like, so it's not like a human where you're alive and then you're dead, I guess, with the yeah. Carmine Beast. It's a bit more like you're, I don't know, dead, but that doesn't mean it's over. I, I don't know. Yeah, or you're kind of reborn as a part of something else. Yeah, like for all we know, we're going to get like a Carmine Beast Junior Sprout or whatever. Um, yeah. Like the dead yeah. tree. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I again, it'd be interesting to see that, but um, the, definitely Miss seems pretty confident in the fact that they would know if a different other or a practitioner had come in and done this. Yeah. Um, so it presumably has to be one of them. Yes. It, it seems like what Wild Boo is setting up is, as yeah. an author, is these are your suspects. Who do you think it's going to be? It's a murder <laughs> and, mystery. And, of course, Verona's like, so we just have to interview a set list of suspects. Like, it has to be one of these people and they can't lie to us. And Mrs. Yeah. like, yeah. And, and you just get this thing. You're just like... It's so not going to be that easy. Yeah, like, it can't be that easy. Exactly. You, you can yeah. feel the cogs in the girls' heads going like, oh, sweet. Well, this will be the weekend. Yeah, all I have uh, to do so- is ask, did you do it? And <laughs> someone will have to say yes eventually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just got to keep rephrasing, did you do it, until there's no way of weaseling out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's sort of a recurring beat for these these poor girls. Like, um, as they start to put on all their outfits at the end of this chapter, it's sort of like, oh, you know, we've got to wear the um, the hats and stuff. That's part of the fun. And it's just like, oh, oh and, and like Charles, this poor beaten down guy is like, it's not going to be fun, girls. Just yeah. run, run. Yeah. Should have listened to Charles. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, but that's the end of uh, the first chapter, 1.1 in Lost for Words. Um, let's start with 1.2, 1. 
We are now in Lucy's head, uh, and Lucy and the rest of the Charmed Ones kind of start to think more about the mission they've been given as they prepare for their awakening. Yeah, I again, this perspective of switching to Lucy second really makes sense to, for, to me because now we get to see Verona again and, and, and a bit more of Avery. But if Avery is like the third wheel, it's kind of like, oh, of course she's going to be... The be the third, third chapter, yeah. Um, and I get, like, she's the one I'm most interested in seeing the other two girls from, mm. from her perspective because she's going to mm. have the most different one. Um, like, Verona and Lucy gave us little extra tidbits on the characterization of the other from an external viewpoint, but they're like... Yeah been best friends since childhood so they have a very set idea of what they're like um Avery's just going to come at them with a bit less of the history of their characters yeah and, like it's it's easy to forget how much your your knowledge of someone's past influences your opinion of them yeah yeah we'll have to see um so this line uh, this chapter opens with the line if their job was to solve a mystery then there might never be a better time to pay attention and I couldn't find it. I tried to look, but I couldn't find the person who made this comment. But there was a comment that basically said, this is Wabo explicitly telling the readers, pay attention to this chapter, <laughs> which I love. It's like explicitly saying, if you want to solve the mystery, this chapter is going to be important. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, uh, of course it is. Like there's, there's a lot of clues. There's a lot of stuff in here, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff that clues, and I don't know what to do with them yet, but like in retrospect, it's going to be like, oh, this was a clue because X, Y, Z. Yes. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like it's like I hadn't thought of it like that. But as soon as as soon as you said that, it was just like, well, yeah, okay, of course. Like this is Wabo just like shaking us by the yeah, shoulders. Make sure you're like, paying attention. Pay attention, yeah. you idiots. Um, yeah, it's great. And, and I mean, you know, just just in case we still didn't, uh, we've also been provided with the cliff notes again of yes. of what we should have been paying attention to. I yeah. think we'll get to that in a little bit um but yeah so this start of this chapter there's a lot of discussion around the idea of the balance of power between these three and the idea that if they don't all contribute to the awakening in equal parts the balance of power and be equal and all kinds of things that could cause that balance to tilt and again it feels like this is something that is discussed just slightly more than it would need to be if it was just an interesting <laughs> piece of world information like which makes me jump to the jump to the conclusion. I think it's I, I'm struggle whether to say I'm being led to the conclusion or if I'm just jumping to it. But um, th the conclusion is that there is going to be part of this story that revolves around the balance of power tilting, possibly away from Avery is is what I think initially because Avery is kind of the most reclusive of them and the least connected. Yeah. Possibly towards Lucy, who seems to be the most kind of outgoing and bold of them. But we'll have to see. Um, yeah, I completely agree that there's talk of how the setup of this ritual could tilt the stage. Um, there's no talk of whether things can tilt after that, but like, I, yeah, true. I I've been working off the assumption they probably can, just because I think that's yes. more interesting. Yeah, um, presumably it's more dynamic than you would first. Yes, think. yeah, exactly. I doubt it's kind of like okay, locked in for life. Uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, as you say, I. Avery would be the obvious candidate for the person who will uh, potentially, you know, start to fall under uh, first. Mm. It, I already talked at length about how I think they could be turned against each other, and this will probably just be another element in that. That it'll be more tangible, uh, even than just them fighting. It'll actually be power transferring between the three of them. Mm. And like, yeah, I, what ways they might find to manipulate that. Yeah, okay, I've got to bring this out now because it's so relevant. I, the, We get beats this chapter of after they've awakened together, they are 
they are like already bleeding across into each other, right? They operate as a singular entity to the extent that the lines between them are starting to blur a little bit. Um, the one I love of, of that is the pink hair. The fact that after Lucy awakens, when she looks with the sight, uh, she has pink hair, which is of course what we saw as the thing that Verona like thinks of her as having, even though she's never actually had it. And so that indicates to me that Verona's impression of Lucy shapes the way that Lucy is seen by other people, which is crazy to me. Like that must be <laughs> because they're awakening together. Verona's impression of Lucy is kind of bleeding into the identity of who Lucy is. Yeah, that was totally my thought as well. Like there's definitely the the possibility that this just always was like Lucy's true form because there's this like yes. sight. Uh, I, I think it's just called the sight yes. um, that they get at the end. And it's sort of like... I'm picturing it as, as this sort of like true sight that you get where you can see how things yeah. really are. Yeah. Um, and so there's always a chance that was just Lucy. And what we should, what the lesson we should be taking from this is, is that Verona was just hitting the nail on the head and she's very smart. Mm. I, I agree though, that what's probably more interesting and what I think is more likely is that this is Verona's impression of Lucy literally feeding into her. And <laughs> yes, um, it's another example of why I'd be very surprised to learn that this, this stage that can tilt is is just dynamic like i think these three are now connected in a very spiritual way and yeah. they're going to be able to things are going to be able to move between them and, and this impression of the pink hair becoming real is, is just an example of that yeah i mean i don't think it's a spoiler to say that in all of wild Bo's works the concept of like self-identity has been pretty strong as a theme to be explored you know, yeah. how do you define yourself in, in different scenarios? And I think that's what we're starting to get towards here is seeing another lens of that theme of when your identity is so closely tied together with two other people, what does the concept of self-identity mean and how much do you take that from yeah. the way that other people see you, especially when you're, you know, 13 years old and still figuring out exactly <laughs> who you are to begin with. Yeah, like, especially like, this whole chapter, this entire second chapter is, like Miss says, this ritual's about presenting yourself to the the world of magic you're basically making a statement about what your identity yes, is yes and so for them to be doing that together like ties their identities together in a way and i guess we're going to see like have the has the magical world registered them as one sort of collective individual mm, mm. so it doesn't really care who's got what where yeah it's just as long as as long as the total sum of the parts kind of replicates the three things that were presented in this awakening ritual like is that is that all that really has to exist like uh, yeah i don't know it's gonna be fascinating yeah a lot of really interesting ideas being brought up to to, to track as we go yeah, there's um, so much to work with in this yeah. like yeah i'm so excited to see this go forward yes definitely so much um so we meet these goblins <laughs> let's talk about them for a while because they're great um <laughs> The first way we're introduced to them is these kind of incredibly vulgar things that are really struggling to not just, like, burst with, like, vulgar ticks, <laughs> basically vulgar outbursts, which is so funny to me. Um, and then as an explanation of this, Toad Swallow says that it's easier to show than tell and reaches into, presumably what he does is reaches into his ass to pull out some shit <laughs> yeah. as, like, an explanation of, of what's going on, which is insane. Like... It's just an insane thing to happen, and I'm, I, I, maybe this is slightly spoilers, but I just love that goblins are still in this story. They were in fact, <laughs> and they were, the, they were great, and I'm glad they're here too. 
Uh, yeah, they they're such fantastic little fuckers. Um, yeah, I I love how like Toad Swallow in particular though. Like, as a mm. kind of, I get the impression all of them are trying to like sanitize themselves a bit for the girls. Um, it it's interesting. Like Toad Swallow does all this stuff. Like he acts very proper. Like you know the. There's all the stuff where he's like, oh, you know, my sincerest apologies for yeah. um, Cherry Pop and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, and then the next sentence, he's trying to pull shit out of his ass to, to define night soil. Um, Matthew says that goblins, and I think it says in the notes, they're sort of like the dis- distillation of, like, grossness and filthiness. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, of course, I'm just reading Toad's, Toad's sorry, Toad Swallow. Um, as like, you know, something that is sort of emblematic of like pretending to be eloquent when what you're saying is just really gross. Yeah. Like, I don't like if you were, for example, a psychologist who enters debates and posts YouTube videos where you hide behind eloquence to say really terrible things. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Uh, like I, I could see that being sort of what to- toad swallow is meant to represent as, as <laughs> yeah. a part side of the ugliness of humanity i love the idea that and um for new listeners to the show uh just as a note we we will sometimes often fall into political and economic <laughs> analogies so if you if you don't like that well sorry welcome sorry. to the show um it, it really reminds me of this idea of uh like I guess the alt-right specifically, but bad faith actors generally who take kind of old racist or sexist arguments and try and tie them, tie them up in a kind of scientific bow to, to yeah. present them as being eloquent is what it feels like to me. Yeah. Um, like evolutionary psychology or, or bullshit. Yeah, like that. yeah. Or like, no, no, I'm not a white supremacist. I'm a race realist guys. I'm just like assessing the data. Um, it's, it's this exact thing of taking really shitty arguments and dressing it up in a, a tuxedo to try and pass it off as intellectual. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's exactly what I saw Toad Swallow as maybe representing. Yeah, uh, Toad Swallow slash Ben Shapiro. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's before we dive too deep down that thread. Yeah, let's uh, move on. Uh, so yeah, I don't want to talk about that stuff. <laughs> uh, so um, the thing I like again, and this is kind of similar to to uh, what Verona saw in John, the the Dog of War. Lucy also has this moment where she sees and recognizes this look in John's eyes that is like this pure, deep, deep sadness. And again, like very humanizing for John. Like, I, yeah, I guess I'm just excited to to get to his interlude, I guess, and, and find out why <laughs> I should feel so sad for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, same with all the others we've met. Um, yeah. I, I, I like this bit because, it, again, it's, it's doing two things. Like, we get this very, you know, authentic and, and poetic, like, you know, it stood out to you so much that you put it in here about, like, you know, how sad John looks and you just yeah. want to know. But yeah. we also learn a bit more about Lucy and her home situation. Yeah. Um, so it's characterizing her almost as much. Like, it's it's a really nice little section. Mm. Yeah, and I guess the thread that I'm starting to notice is um, interesting, complicated relationships with parents, which... I guess it's a wild by work, so of course that would happen. Uh, but yeah. I, I'm starting to see a bit of a thread of possibly this will apply to Avery as well. We know she was homeschooled. We know she probably has an interesting relationship with her parents. We'll see. Um, the idea of uh, these girls 
Well, and actually, now that I'm saying this, it probably applies to teenagers in general, right? Having a kind of complicated relationship with your parents, especially when you're 13 years old, and kind of seeking uh, surrogate families to to kind of join uh, as a way of escapism from that. And that's possibly what is being taken advantage of here by Miss explicitly finding 13-year-old girls and and getting them to be the new recruits. Yeah, Um, I mean, she's helped them run off and join her cult. Yeah, which... Well, I, I didn't have as harsh of a read on no, Miss as no, Lucy I, I, does I, I, initially. I'm being a little but, bit hyperbolic. There, no, but, but uh, thinking I mean, about it this way does... also a little bit. I'm like 50% yeah. joking. Well, yeah, the fact that she's gone and specifically recruited three 13-year-old girls to solve this case kind of is like, not yeah. indicative of good intentions there, Miss. I, yeah, it's definitely... It's clear to me that being able to uh, control the girls was more important than actually finding people who could solve the murder and i mean yeah you know matthew outright says <laughs> matthew that, we just need you to look that, into yeah. it don't you don't actually you have don't to actually solve need it. to solve to which it. lucy correctly responds that that's sketchy as fuck yeah 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 that's the kind of thing that the culprit would say right <laughs> yeah it's just i don't know you just immediately like okay maybe the charitable read is that he doesn't want to saddle these three with too yeah, much of a burden. no pressure yeah. anyway um Let's speaking of suspicious Matthew moments. Uh, there's one where Matthew is talking about how others don't process time the same way as humans, I suppose. And Lucy's response is so. Is that why it took five weeks for you guys to start investigating the disappearance of this Carmine beast? And Matthew's response, I'll just read it out. Matthew seemed surprised at that. I think it might be. It didn't cross my mind. Which I does not compute to me, Elliot. Um, to borrow the old robot phrase, it we know we saw in the prologue immediately that Matthew and Edith and Miss and I think some of the Hungry Choir were discussing the idea of oh we're gonna need to bring in outsiders for this right or yeah yeah maybe it's a little bit vague as to whether they're referring to outside practitioners coming in to investigate or whether they're referring to explicitly recruiting a new practitioner to be a shield against that. But they seem to have at least most of the building blocks of this plan that they're implementing now on the night that this happened. And so the the bit of it took five weeks for this to get off the ground, it rings a little bit false to me. And I I don't, yeah, again, it's not quite enough to, to stake a solid claim on, but just it's a little bit sus. So... My interpretation of this um, is a bit more like I believe Matthew when he says mm. it's sort of like, oh, uh, yeah, like I, I guess I believe him to some extent. But um, there's another line and I haven't pulled it out. I think it's earlier in this chapter or late in 1.1 where they say, oh, we thought we'd have months, but we only had five weeks. So I think I think there's some sort of external pressure on them, like somebody was poking around asking about the carmine beast and they yeah. needed to awaken the girls so that right now they can say oh we have practitioners on it yeah um but it, so like i i think they had their hand forced a little bit into doing it now and it's maybe like oh is that why we waited the five weeks like you know is this something that could have happened three weeks ago like they already sort of knew it was going to be these three two weeks in and they just kind of sat on it until it had to be done. Like, yeah. I, I guess is maybe my interpretation of what could happen. Like, yeah, if fair the, enough. If the external people hadn't been pu- pressing them right now, would they have just sat on having these three girls awakening soon for mm. like another six months? Mm. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I can see that. You're right. These are all kind of possibilities, but I just... None of them feel cohesive enough to be like, yes, of course it was this, and that makes full sense to me. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Other interesting bit is they're talking about the uh, elements that they're going to be using, and Miss suggests holly uh, instead of iron as a representation of wood instead of metal, which is kind of the older versus the newer element. And Miss says, it's the old way, and our approach here hews to old ways, which is interesting to me, which sets up the idea that this old other council is kind of an old way, but it feels quite new and revolutionary, which maybe means they're not referring to this. Maybe it's like referring to the fact that the others are here explicitly to collect the offerings, which seems like it's not really the done thing. I don't know, that that the fact that Miss referred to this as hewing to the old ways just didn't quite sit right with me either. Um, didn't the about page have that, that there were like the three ways of getting involved in magic in the about mm. page, mm. um, finding something, just being inducted by your family or making a deal directly. And I think it like the ah, third way was specified yes. as the oldest. That could be it. That's a good way. Yeah. I like that. Um, so the fact that they're explicitly dealing with these others is what makes it old yeah. in a sense. And, and I mean, I guess the other thing is like, how old are we talking? Cause you know, like, you know presumably now in in the pack like i'm assuming that this this other verse is is our universe just with you know with magic so mm. there's seven billion or whatever humans back in the stone age when there were like you know two hundred thousand on the planet maybe this sort of dynamic was much more common mm. where um it was others who were elevating uh, a couple of humans to help manage things mm. and then like just mm. as humans gathered more power um, and sort of took over the world it's it's flipped and we get this scenario we're picturing for everywhere else where um, practitioners just sort of bind and, and enslave others um yeah so you know maybe maybe like two thousand years ago this was a lot more common like old might mean two thousand years ago mm. yeah i could see that yeah I, I i love this framing as well though like so there's five elements there's your standard fire water earth and air and then there's a fifth one, which is either wood or metal. Um, mm. Like you kind of, whether you're looking to the past or the future, that's a really fun twist on the like the whole elemental thing. I find it interesting that plastic isn't an element or isn't significant enough to get to that point. I feel like I plastic, wonder if plastic will replace metal. Like, yeah, as a third it feels like it's becoming so fundamental a building block of our society that it, it needs to be represented more in stuff like this. And based on the fact that, you know, the transition from wood to metal seems to mirror the idea of, you know, going into the kind of industrial age, I guess, um, even if it's lagged, like, what, 50 years behind. Oh, uh, it could be even old. Like, I would think metal, I'm thinking, like, Bronze Age, like, oh, even, yeah. like, metal weapons and stuff. Like, metal became yeah, an important true. part of humanity, like, thousands of years. Like, this could be something that took a thousand years to happen, you know? Yeah, I guess I'm more kind of seeing it as as the transition from wood to metal being representative of, like, industrial age and globalization and kind of... A degradation of the environment i guess almost um where plastic is not quite at that scale i guess or maybe it is but it's not hasn't been that way for long enough for it to be there like a kind of manufacturing revolution using plastic as a kind of second wave industrial revolution feels like it's enough yeah. of a thing that it should start to be represented in elements like this but we'll see i guess yeah, maybe maybe another hundred years from now. Yeah, uh, yeah. People have the option of of uh, wood, metal, yeah, or plastic. You can use holly, iron, or a Beyblade <laughs> in your awakening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, I, I want to touch on the masks and hats as well, because it's I love the imagery there. But the fact that they made their masks and hats and there's a bit of an exchange around like um, the way that they made them and the fact that there's kind of small differences and discrepancies between the, the mask uh, between the hats and the cloaks is interesting to me. I, I, it feels like there's a clue to personalities or like something that's going to happen in there, kind of a bit of foreshadowing about something about the way they interact with the magic in there, but it's just a bit too vague for me to really nail it down. Yeah, yeah, there could be something there. Um, Again, I'm, I'm trying to hold back from reading too much into yes, everything about the girls. I, I, I did note, like, the thing that jumped out to me about this was there was a bit of a miscommunication. Like, they agreed they were going to make matching... Um, cloaks capes whatever and and yep. they agreed on a design and then somehow managed to all come up with Just different things vary it yeah um that's perhaps not a great sign for their three-way communication skills um which i imagine will be quite important now that they're like linked on some sort of like magic level yeah i'm gonna be really excited to see when we get to our first kind of action slash combat section how well they actually work under pressure as a team together yeah and which way dynamics it runs are, yeah yeah to, to towards away or side to side i guess <laughs> um yes so they start this ritual and basically the way it works is they have a bit of a speech uh the women speak their words and others kind of enter and leave accepting offerings as they go yeah um and like just the atmosphere of this ritual mm. is so cool yes um I love how Lucy has to put on the mask and that means she doesn't really have peripheral vision, yeah. which like just to me, like, you know, when you, when you're sitting down in the cold, like we get so many references to how cold she is. And then like, you don't have peripheral vision. Like that just makes it so much, like I already felt a bit vulnerable and claustrophobic yeah. for her. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, th- I think like the darks get darker and the brights get brighter. Mm. Like, like people are glowing, but like the world has gone dark. There's fucking lines. It gets 3D and shit. Yeah. Um, like it's all very magical. And then yeah. the, the mask thing comes back because eventually she realizes she can like, the mask isn't blocking her peripheral vision anymore. Like she can yeah. just sort of see through it, I guess. Or like, well, like, my interpretation is it's now like the the rules of magic have decided it's part of her well so she yeah so, so she can kind of see through it or, or whatever uh, I, like, I, I don't know i think the yeah. or whatever might be that she's seeing out of the eyes of the mask oh as in she's not I, looking out her eyes anymore she's looking out of the mask's eyes at, in this moment which is why there's no peripheral blockage because her eyes are well, now yeah. you know 10 centimeters forward or whatever i didn't think of that I don't think, unless I missed it, I don't think there's anything to suggest that, no. but that would be cool. It's just, then a, they could, like, it just an option that it could be. Yeah, because then you could, like, can, can they stick the mask somewhere and, and like, you know, bug a room with it? You well, know? but anyway. if they're not wearing it, you know, that that presumably disconnects the chain a little bit. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Just kind of thinking, seeing how these things are going to work. Yeah. I, I definitely just viewed it on the level of, like, that was proof that this is sort of her full self now with the mask yeah. that yeah. it's, yeah. you know regardless it indicates that she is one with the mask right yeah 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 and Um, and either way the the ritual scene has a very cool atmosphere like it's just uh yeah yeah i I just love the i I, it feels weird to say i love the visuals of it because it was all written down and i I inserted the visuals but uh very evocative language made me do that well Mm, yeah um 
Yeah. Uh, we So the others enter and leave, and there's obviously some important descriptions there, but we'll skim over that because we'll get to the... Lucy has explicitly taken notes on that, and we'll touch on it during that section. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also interesting wordings that are important to pay attention to. Uh, there's a few bits where um, Miss kind of makes the pledge on behalf of the, the canon others, and uh, these... There are some interesting wordings that we can look into here, and I think people have kind of overanalyzed the wordings here a bit. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> where Miss says, we pledge our intent to stand with you at one point. Um, intent to stand with you? Or you will actually stand with them, I guess is the key to take note of there. Sure. And uh, also says, those of us here available as bodyguards, soldiers, distractions, or counsel. Bodyguards, soldiers, great. Distractions, pretty good. Counsel, great. But that's vague, and it could just be like a word of advice, you know, not actually anything useful. So there, there are a few ways that potentially the others can sneak out of this. But on the whole, it does feel like they're being pretty open books and fair about things. Yeah, like you're right. There are rabbit holes that we can go down on the exact phrasing of all this because uh, we know they can't lie, but yeah. um, presumably they can, like, you know, Trick mislead. Things. Yeah, exactly. Um, like yeah like you know those of uh, those of us here available as bodyguards soldiers distractions or counsel so they could all just decide to just be a counsel and their counsel would be oh you should probably go die like <laughs> that's my advice fuck yeah, off like, you know there's there's no need for the, uh, yeah like that that's always possible but like also on the flip side i totally get why they would be hesitant to be like we promise to always be by your side because then if these girls go rogue and do dumb shit they they're like tied to them yeah so it's like it's also on the other side it's unreasonable to expect super harsh definitive like we will always be with you wording because you don't want to promise that unless the girls are like you know explicitly promising you know oh we'll, we will never hurt you or whatever um yeah so it's i i get it i guess um and, and we'll see yeah yeah i mean as you said like the overall vibe i got from the speeches is it's like this seems fairly on the level yeah it does it feels like they're being invited to be kind of equal members in the co-op but of course we wouldn't like if it would seem on the level until the twist gets revealed right exactly (laughs) until oh no i signed it with my left hand so our marriage isn't binding or whatever you know like it seems on the level (laughs) the whole way along Oh, that was... Yeah, okay, sorry. What's t- too much What's of a on? deep cut for you, Elliot. <laughs> oh, I hated that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I also want to talk about how cool it is, the part where they kind of do their little speeches and they just, like, the imagery of them just finding the words and the way we see Lucy kind of freaking out as it seems like... Um, Every and Verona have just found the right words and Lucy doesn't know what to say and then she finds hmm. it. She just kind of does. And it's it's so like enrapturing i found it so captivating yeah there's this sense of like yeah like the the universe or or magic is helping them like just say the perfect words or or something um it's 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 very cool as you say like it makes this whole thing feel very magical and powerful yeah um i i i also latched onto again if we're talking about things we're latching onto and reading too much into um this whole thing where they get help speaking i couldn't help but notice what they were saying like yes me too so lucy of course is the one who focuses on the mission i already so talked like she she was she's always the one who comes back to the investigation yeah um in this chapter she thinks a couple of times of like she's she's grateful that they have like a task they can focus on she seems to be very yeah um 
like goal oriented i suppose um so of course lucy is the one who's who speaks on that um avery interestingly is the one who focuses on oh we will be brought in as equals equality seemingly well the focus under the under like there's a bit of a subtextual focus on in her words on wanting to belong like again i I keep Mm, coming back to mm. with avery there's this sense of like she she's always felt a bit isolated she had that one best friend who who left her that we're about to get to Mm. so i think she's maybe someone who's like you know very insecure and really wants that sense of belonging and i think she's probably putting i I would expect she's putting a lot of emphasis in this whole deal on basically like having the group like not just lucy and verona although i'm sure she's thrilled about basically being tied to a trio forever because now she's kind of got friends that that, you know have to stay with her (laughs) she's Um, got people who've signed a contract to be her friends (laughs) exactly um but also like I i would say that there's a bit of a focus in her speech on being brought in with the others and basically yeah. having to be friends with them yeah um, totally and then verona um verona's thing again kind of talks about meeting expectations and all that mm. like that was something we saw with her dad and she strikes me as someone who's just kind of generally curious about this world like she just wants to learn more she's always the one who's like oh but can somebody actually teach us the magic yeah it seemed like hers was a lot about t- getting into the world of practicing she yes, explicitly yeah. says she that she vows to help fill the role that charles left mm. um which is very interesting to me yeah well you know in her chapter she thought a bunch about how she probably doesn't want to be in Kennet forever yeah. um we haven't really seen how she's dealing with the fact that she kind of has to always <laughs> come back here now yeah it, it it does i think she's the one that's the most kind of seeing this as like oh this is my escapism harry potter fantasy of like the owl coming to my house when i'm 11 you know like i found my way into a new world where i can leave my kind of stagnant world a bit behind yes yeah exactly she's she's totally attracted to the the magic and the mystique of this world definitely um Uh, and I, i think that's a bit of the focus of her speech yeah uh, I, I pulled out each of the masks and the way they describe them and each of their personal items and how they describe them too because I think, again, yep. this gives us good insight into these characters. So Lucy has picked the fox uh, because she thinks it's wily but has fangs um, and she picked her knife, which is a gift from her family and it kind of represents to her protecting her family while being both a tool and a weapon. So, again, it seems like she, her, she's kind of taking the role of like being smart, being useful, being kind of active in this, um, and potentially dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Like it's such a you know, we've come to expect this from Wobbo, I suppose, but it's 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 perfect. Um, I like how she's sort of like it's like a wolf, but they're like smaller and craftier, and you know, mm. like I'm smaller, I want to be craftier. Mm. I'm not just a carnivore; I'm a bit more flexible. But like I have those fangs for when I need them. Yeah, like, I'm not going to be helpless. Yeah, exactly. Knife kind of has uh, connotations of like a concealed weapon as well. Like you know, yeah, yeah. She 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 might look like a cute cuddly fox, but actually she's got fangs. Um, yep. Verona is the cat, uh, and and kind of seems to be, I guess, aspirationally confident, like wanting to embody ideals of the cat more by becoming more confident. Um, is happy and safe at night, and kind of excels in the shadows, uh, which she sees as kind of representative of this other world. Uh, and she selected the scissors, which was almost a kind of unconsidered choice. It seems to have connotations of creativity, but then also 
she explicitly calls out that it can cut ties, which is an interesting vibe to um to pull out specifically, Verona. <laughs> yeah, well, she talks about cutting the ties to her past so yes. that she can like move forward. And again, like it, it's weird because in her chapter, I didn't get the sense that she had these big aspiration or aspirations or goals of where she wants to go in life or be powerful or something but it's very much the vibe i get from all of this stuff that happens here yeah like i would have expected her narration to maybe the one where she's like even if she doesn't know oh i want to be you know a, a doctor mm. like she she definitely has this sense of like in, in this part she wants to get out and make something of herself or yeah. like be respected um i guess yeah. that ties into the stuff with her dad and the chores yeah definitely um yeah like i think she's someone who she, she wants other people to think highly of her i suppose um and that's that's what she's getting at here yeah yeah it's interesting uh, yeah we kind of get these beats of them and again like especially for verona verona's one is interesting because i think verona's is the one that the most to me is a slightly disconnected from the realistic picture of who she actually is i think avery and lucy's I can immediately see in them. But for Verona, the idea of like wanting to jump in with both feet and things like wanting to cut ties does seem to be in some ways at conflict with the image that we got of her in 1.1. Yeah, Maybe that is the point. I mean, yeah. we've just had a whole ritual where you're supposed to define yourself, as you've said in, in this very episode, um, as a 13-year-old, you kind of have no fucking yeah. idea who you are. And yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if I if I think back to who I was at thirteen and who I am now, like if I'd had to make statements on who I was going to be for the rest of my life at that age, I would have been in big fucking trouble. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe Verona is someone we've got to be very concerned about because she's making a lot of definitions about who she thinks she is, but she mm. maybe doesn't have the most accurate self image. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it would be impossible to have an image of who you are going to be as an adult when you're thirteen. It's just. Mm. Oh, and, and who you even are at at thirteen. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then Avery, uh, our final of the trio, uh, is selects the deer mask. Uh, so she kind of talks about running a lot, running away from things possibly, or she kind of starts out by talking about how she loves to run and then kind of comes to the understanding that maybe she runs in other aspects of her life. Um, <laughs> and her personal item is a photo that represents really the important moment of when she built connections to these people that she feels like she has been missing for a large portion of her life. Yeah. This is such a cool, like personal object to have picked. Cause yeah. it's like this, it, it's this moment, but it's not just the moment. It's all the stuff that goes with it. Like, you know, her old friend who uh, like left her that, and kind of broke her heart is yeah. in it, but more importantly, so are Verona and Lucy who are yeah. like her new friends. Um, it's the night that Miss came and got them, which is presumably also the night we saw. Because I remember one of the things like Louise, you know, she didn't go into the uh, arena, but it was sort of like, oh, this is probably the last thing. So mm. like, Miss must have gone straight from like kicking Louise out to going and finding these girls because they said that was the night they met. So yeah, um, well, at least met Avery first, right? So yeah, true, true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I don't know, it's just like. Again, just everything about Avery's characterization, just like she's so wholesome and pure. She's too and, pure. Yeah. And like I just I'm so worried for her. <sighs> yep. She's pure and she's a bit naive, and I'm just kind of very nervous about that combination <laughs> yeah, in this yeah. story. Exactly. She, I'm just so scared for her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that's it. The girls awaken. Um 
and they get the sight, they gain the ability to see things from a new perspective. We we get the aforementioned moment where Lucy realizes that part of her hair is pink in the sight, which is crazy. Um, and they start to kind of plan their investigation. Uh, yes. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, I guess like on that note, should we just start talking about the, the bonus material we got this yes. week? Which, um, yeah, like, I mean, it's so great. Like we had this discussion question that was sort of like, hey, what other cool shit do you reckon would enhance the the web serial format <laughs> um it, it's funny just like basically cliff notes on all the characters wouldn't have made my list but i loved it so much like it was yeah. just like oh this is great and the, like definitely as yeah. the people running this podcast i was planning on doing a read where i like basically built out my own version of these notes so it was so great to read it and be like oh this has saved me so much time of like tracking everyone who entered next <laughs> i know it's thing. so useful i think wabo <laughs> did this just for us well, he probably had these notes anyway, and he's probably like, oh, people are just going to recreate this. So I may as well share might it. Might as well, yeah. Might as well just get this out there. Yes. And the other thing I love about this is it allows us to get the thoughts from uh, Avery and Verona on all of these goings on. Um, and interestingly, it seems like Lucy has had to kind of explicitly push Avery and Verona to give their opinions on things, which kind of makes me feel, again, like the balance of power is something we have to keep an eye on here. Because if Lucy's the one that's constantly pushing for things to happen, I feel like things will tilt in her favour. Or is she just the one who isn't being careful enough with what she says yet? You know, mm. like, you've got to be careful. I, I, I guess I don't know if everything they write down has to be true. Yeah, sure. Um, but, like, if she's verbally asking them, hey, what do you think of X? Like, you'd, you'd have to be really careful about what you say, right? Um yeah. So I can see that being part of why she has to push them. She's also the most mission focused. So the other two are probably having, or just focusing on other things right now. Like Verona is, you know, half of Verona's notes in this are just like, oh, we shouldn't talk to them quite yet because we've got to get them to teach us the magic first. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think I'm on the Verona side of that argument, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. You've been explicitly yeah. told that you don't have to worry about looking into it too much. Take some time to learn some magic. Look into it when you're a bit more established and you know how things work. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and so then obviously, like something else that we skipped over um to to focus on here is um like there's so many objects in this in this ritual that just seem stacked with meaning. Um the ones I wanted to sort of talk about quickly before we go into this, because I think the most important for these notes are um we have these five objects and they're like the five, I think Miss says they're the five pillars of human experience. Mm. And um, I guess I wanted to run my interpretation of these past you, Ruben, before yeah. we sort of talk a bit more about them. Because, yeah. um, like, you know, it, it, <laughs> this is something like I think could differ from person to person. So there's the knife, um, which I sort of took as like conflict or yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, there's a skull. I'm assuming that's like death. Yep um i'm focusing on the uh, on death being ending there whereas i know like your history with tarot you're probably thinking a bit yeah more change. And, and yeah i feel like death and especially a lot more of the kind of more i don't know the word for it like more fantastical elements within our world would see death as like it is represented a lot in fiction like this as change as transformation um so yeah, maybe so that is a tarot thing, right? Yes. Yeah, so the death, the death card in tarot change. is misunderstood a lot because death you commonly think of as actually being bad, but 
Death in Tarot is more indicative of change or transformation, whereas you have the card called the Tower, which is kind of destruction and tragedy. <laughs> right. Because yeah. one of these other five pillars is like the timepiece. Like I think the girls yes. use a stopwatch. And I view that one more as like change. Like I view mm. this conception of time or, or perception of time, I should say. Um, uh, yeah, having this perception of time and like changing over time was sort of how I read the timepiece yeah. as a pillar of human experience. Yeah, I think that's fair. I actually kind of see time as more of a loss than death as like time is the kind of the thing that can't be turned back. It's the thing that kind of withers everything away, right? Um, <laughs> so we're basically just flipped on what those uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's a fair read either way, though, so. Um, and then obviously, so for the coin, I think this is another easy one. It's sort of like possession, like valuing yeah. things. Yeah. Like maybe even like a word might be like greed. Um, and yeah. then I, I think probably the most interesting one um, is the thread. Yes. Um, I... I sort of locked in initially like imagination and creativity as, as something um, yeah. just because of the way it's used to create something. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you've written down in the notes here um, fate as well, which yeah. of course like with the loom of fate and everything. Like, yeah, exactly. That imagery feels very strong. So now I'm kind of second guessing. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't know. What, uh, stay tuned for the discussion question, Elliot, because I'm, I think this is the kind of thing where it's very interpretive and we want to give people an opportunity to interpret it themselves a bit too. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because I'm not going to go through, like, there's all the foods as well and yeah. then there's all the elemental stuff. I mean, we could just sit here and talk for two hours about yes. that if we wanted We've to. We've actually had um, a lot of back and forth text conversations yeah. about it already. <laughs> Um, I don't think that would be interesting audio. I just wanted to run through those five because yeah. we we're kind of going to go through all the others now a little bit. And I think those will be the ones we're going to focus on because yes. the food, it, yeah, there's a lot to read into there and we'll, we'll get to that in the discussion question. But um, yeah, yeah, I guess, should we just quickly move through Lucy's notes? Yeah. Um, yeah, we should. Uh, I don't think we're going to talk about each of them. I think some no. of them, it's kind of like, some of them, it's almost impossible to understand what the clue is that we want to take from it uh, it's the kind of yeah. thing where you know we might revisit this chapter every uh arc or so to to see if there's any new interpretations we want to pull out oh yeah um, this is this is going to be these 1.2 notes are going to be something i'm coming back to a lot throughout the story i'm sure yes uh the only thing from charles that i want to pull out is verona points out that she wants to know why or how he got forsworn which is same. me too yep same that um, we get to Matthew and Edith next. Matthew is a host, according to himself, which it, I don't know what that fully means. Possibly hosting Edith, right? And then that's my guess, yeah. just because they're so tied together and everything. Yes. There's also the uh, correlation in their eyes. Hers are fiery, and his are black. Yeah, like um, empty, like you can't see into his eye sockets, right? Yeah. So it's like I I'm assuming he was human. And when he hosted Edith, mm. um, part of him moved into her enough that he no longer counts as human. Yeah, well, in fact, maybe the reason, right? It was a decision that oh, they made. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, like maybe he fell in love with her, and this was their equivalent of getting married. I yeah, don't I don't know. know. It's it's another one where I'm like, well, I hope we get an interlude on this because <laughs> I want to know more. Yeah, I mean, and, and so what's interesting is like Matthew came into the thing through the hourglass, which you know, again, I was the I was reading that as um as change, um, and then he left through through death, mm. um, whereas Edith sort of came in through death, um, 
and and left through coin so i was kind of reading this that means <laughs> well i so i interpreted it as this whole thing of like matthew came in through the hourglass so he changed from human and he's going out through death and mm. edith coming in through death so there's something of like him giving her his life or yeah you know or whatever and i guess her something associated with value i don't I, look i don't have anything for the coin bit i'm going to completely honest yeah. that's very much open for interpretation yeah. but like the fact that matthew left through the skull and she came in through the skull i feel is probably yes important. i feel that too uh it kind of lends itself to this theory that we're building of uh matthew being the kind of conduit through which edith has been brought into the world and matthew has been turned into whatever he is now yeah well what's interesting is i think the phrasing in 1.1 is that it was arguable whether both of them were practitioners yeah so i wonder if like you know matthew was my current assumption is that matthew was a practitioner and when he's done this business with edith that's made her like take a chunk of him yeah it's maybe that um she's become a little bit more human yeah so it's it's kind of like yeah i don't know they're both like half human like they've split the humanity between them i guess yeah Um, i don't know and, yeah. and like you know there was in the prologue edith was worried for matthew because he was already a bit weak like i wonder if there's sort of if they have control over how much she takes from him yeah how how much of a partnership how kind of connected they are through that partnership whatever it is yeah yeah um how much was and how much maybe she was at risk when he took on louise's ailments like maybe that's why i got passed on to charles so quickly because mm. edith wasn't having any of that shit mm. yeah uh another interesting beat we get is that verona says that uh after uh alpiana alpi took the molasses in the awakening alpi smiled at her and avery and we get lucy's note after this is relevance in brackets <laughs> which is like <laughs> i feel like it's wabo just toying with us being like is this relevant you decide figure it out maybe it'll, uh, maybe it'll be you know retroactively made important later also, from a Watsonian standpoint, I kind of view that as Lucy just being like, "Why are you telling me this?" Bro? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write it down, but like, but why? Think. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So I actually googled mares. So it says here that um, Alpi is a is a mare. Yes. Um, and they're like a real like uh, Germanic um slash Slavic uh mythological creature. Yeah. Like real in the sense that they exist in mythology you know what <laughs> they're, i mean they're uh, a real thing <laughs> like uh but anyway basically they they run around um and like twist shit up basically so like there's these pines that have very twisted branches that are called like mare pines right um the term nightmare actually draws some of its origin or, or shares etymology with these things like mm. they they would do they would cause people like they'll hop on people's chests while they're sleeping and give them bad dreams, which, you know, yeah, nightmares. I, I think I'm recalling the famous painting of a mare, which is yeah. called, like, the nightmare or something, right? Yeah, exactly. So which like, is like the, a the woman sort of... draped in cloth and there's this, like, little gremlin thing sitting yes. on her chest. Yeah, so that's that's what Alpi is in theory. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess this is why I'm maybe starting to lean back towards the thread being creativity and imagination, because if she's so associated with dreams and she... Uh, Alpi came into the scene by the thread and left by the thread. Mm. So that doesn't, like, if it's fate, that'll mm. be very interesting. Mm. Or if it's just imagination, that's just kind of descriptive of what she is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, interesting. Um, there's two fairies as well, which, yep. I mean, that's interesting. They both took honey, so I guess they're sweet. Yep. I know we didn't go into what the, the foods mean, but I assume honey is sweet. Yeah. 
Hania's kindness. I don't know. <laughs> so the fairies are probably great. Nothing to worry about there. Uh, yeah. Then there's John who just comes in through the knife, leaves through the knife. Yep. So that's... um. Lives his I life mean, by seemed, the knife. Makes sense He seems to me. very one-dimensional, and I'm sure he'll stay that way. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, the the other interesting one I thought was um, Toad Swallow. Uh, mm. So all the goblins come in through the knife, I think it is. Yep. Um, and then they, they all leave through the skull, um, except for Toad Swallow, who gets to go through the hourglass. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Like, is he some sort of evolution of goblins yeah i kind of like, see that meaning like he's a modernized version of a goblin but yeah I, I don't know yeah i mean i don't want to go back to our bummer metaphor that we were bringing <laughs> up but like yeah a more palatable modern goblin um yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then the last uh but certainly not least uh the hungry choir yes which like i'm not gonna lie i had these written off as the least interesting halfway through 1.2 it was just kind of okay so it's a bunch of creepy kids like yep. i don't know i guess i guess they all belong to someone or like i don't know i just kind of written them off as a bunch of creepy kids yes but, but they're the, a, yeah they're an incarnation of a ritual yeah which what what does that mean yeah they're not all children <laughs> either they're people mostly younger but not just children and uh, like these things are fucking terrifying these are i think <laughs> the scariest of the others that we see they're the ones that i can most easily believe kill people because I mean, I don't fucking know, but presumably the way their choir grows is by abducting and indoctrinating people. That's what I would assume. Um, so, yeah, yeah, these are terrifying. <laughs> wait, wait. So, uh, assuming that an incarnation of a ritual means that they're actually some sort of ritual that went bad and became a living thing. Yeah. Like, like if the awakening ritual went bad, I don't know yeah, what that would look like. I could but... see it as some kind of like cult thing where like it was a cult based around ritual sacrifice or a, a like non-awakened cult trying to do some demon worship or something and just accidentally fucking up and like turning themselves into this thing, this like version of this yeah. bastardized ritual, like, I don't know, but it, it's horrifying, whatever it is. I mean, what's interesting about them is that there's there's a couple of recurring beats that make me think that they're some they're quite greedy, you know. They're all about consumption. Yes. They well, they're the they, hungry they choir, right? Yeah, and they don't give anything in the ritual they only take. Not that we so, like, see. Fair, fair. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I don't know. It just leaves me wondering. Yeah. Mm. yeah you know what? That's the end of the sentence. It just leaves me wondering. Maybe it's, I mean, the, the choral imagery... Maybe it's something to do with like religion. There's some religious imagery there that's that's taking place. I, I'm not sure. But... I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then last but uh, certainly least, uh, we have Miss. <laughs> I don't know. I Lucy seems very suspicious of Miss, and I'm not as suspicious. Like Miss feels like a red herring to me. Yeah. Again. It, it's it's too obvious that she's obvious but then yeah. wabo knows that will know so like i give up i quit yeah i'm not playing this game um wabo will win um yeah i, I yeah I, I i don't know i i do i do think it's fun like lucy has clearly been boning up for this um whole like mystery by like watching police procedurals mm. so she's i get the impression she's suspecting miss because miss is totally like who it would be in an episode of csi <laughs> the only other named character that you meet is the one that's the murderer yeah yeah oh she's you know she's the one who brought them in and all that so she's controlled it too much I yeah that's what lucy says yeah. yeah um yeah i i don't know i i guess we'll see 
Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Again, I think the only person who can lie is the most likely suspect. <laughs> um, but let's talk about our discussion question answers, shall we, Elliot? We, we had a discussion question last week, which was, uh, what kind of supplementary material would you like to see? We saw a bit more this week with the uh, notes on the others. Um, and we got a lot of really cool ideas. Um, so while both yeah, are listening, was... <laughs> some primo ideas in this thread. I, I, I doubt he is, but it's, it's definitely <laughs> like this is, you know, just oh, what cool things would enhance know, your web serial experience. They're all just like, oh, this would be really cool to see. Um, the yeah. first one by a user, We Are, uh, we are White, uh, talks about like an image of a crochet blanket, which just has magical runes weaved into it, which I don't know like if it's relevant at all, but I just thought it'd be a really <laughs> cool idea to see more image-based content, especially of like ritualized runes, bindings, that kind of stuff. So we can see what some of these things tangibly look like. I don't know if we're white actually expecting Wabo to crochet a blanket together. Cause that's a tall order. Um, <laughs> and you can buy it from a merch shop or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I mean, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I like Captain Rhino um, just sort of talked a bit about like how Pale seems to maybe be using this as an alternative to interludes. Yeah, which I I had mixed feelings on, right? Because I really love the <laughs> interludes, but also I really love the smaller and more frequent pieces of content that can kind of explore things in a more wild way. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be disappointed if that was the case because I do love these little bonus uh, notes. I don't know what you call them. But I would miss mm. interludes. Yeah, but we have three protagonists now, so I can see the interludes being... Yeah, being less relevant. Uh, yeah, less necessary yeah. for to change things up. I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll yeah, see. Yeah, true. Um, Sarah Penguin talked about uh, something called A Book of Shadows, which existed in a show called Charmed, which we've made references to, but I don't think either of us have ever actually seen it. Mm, um, yep. <laughs> but anyway, this Book of Shadows kind of is a, a almanac that includes both like spells and also is a bit of a bestiary. Um, so Sarah Penguin is talking about liking, would like to see uh, something like this that kind of drops hints about rituals or creatures that we might see coming up to kind of get us hyped about them without spoiling specifics of like what they're capable of or how they play into the story, just as like seeding some interesting things to start us thinking about before we see these monsters yeah i i mean i do remember once or twice during deep impact just sort of saying gosh i wish there were just textbooks of the magic <laughs> yeah. in this world that i could read yeah um and it kind of sounds like sarah's on the same page um like i would i would totally just read a chapter that was like you know here's 10 fun facts about mares yeah. or whatever yeah um so yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, definitely. That'd be very cool. Uh, um we we had one from um Fairlax which was an interesting one. It was um just like purchase statements or receipts yeah. as a bit of a device. So like I guess it kind of similar to the shopping list we saw in uh the brochure yes i I, and the reason i love it is because we've kind of firmly established that this is a murder mystery right and this would basically be like here's a clue see if you can find like i could even see it being you know we get this bonus content and then in the next chapter like lucy or whatever is like ah, i found this interesting thing in these receipts and so you kind of have this moment to try and be the detective yourself and see if you can figure yeah. out like what's mundane and what's magical in this before it, it comes into the story i just think that'd be very cool yeah that would be very fun kind of like the inverse because uh like the the notes we got today just kind of 
cleaned up some yes. of the information we got in 1.2 to make it easier to tabulate or whatever yeah. as well as adding new information but you could see it going the other way where a chapter ends on them getting the receipt and then we get the receipt and we all get two days to stew on to it to try before. and figure it out before Wildbo yeah, reveals yeah, the exactly. answer to the puzzle yeah totally well you know Wildbo sits on the sidelines laughing maniacally <laughs> at everyone's theories yes um also uh Fairlax and a few of other others kind of brought up the idea that uh class ranker this app that we saw is probably going to come into it maybe as bonus material um which is kind of like some chapters that we saw in parahumans oh, yeah. where there was like social media stuff the fact that we have 13 year old protagonists also feels to me like social media posts are probably going to be a part of this at some point um so i'm interested to yeah. see that and how that plays into it i hadn't thought of that but you're right that yeah um it, like just some just some social like just some posts on their wall or a couple yeah, of tweets totally yeah um yeah uh so high boom seven um and, and i like this one um just wants like the sort of muggle um understandings of what's going on like a news yes. report um yeah like kind of like I, I i would picture i think my favorite version of this would be like you know one of them gets a copy of the local like magazine that's like weird and wacky world yeah that's like you, you know we spotted bigfoot and it's like you know a, a picture of the giant <laughs> that they've just met that's like really blurry or something but yeah. like you know somehow ties into the current events a bit more but that yeah. could be a fun little comedy bonus material is just like Hum- like normal humans just how are humans reacting to what's going on in the magic yeah. world yeah yeah um, like w- what rationalizations they might make up to explain why a building in town got blown up by magic type yeah, thing. exactly i think that would be great um we i got we had a response from hero of old iron as well that i really liked that i wanted to bring this up because they mentioned this thing that's been happening on the parahuman subreddit recently where wildbo has been hosting these pho which if you don't know stands for parahumans online which is like a social media in the parahumans universe uh, hosting these parahumans online threads where he'll post something like like an in-world parahumans thing and then everyone responds in character as though they're in the world of parahumans and hero volta and talks about how it'd be cool to have something like this for the other verse even though it's probably not possible to do because it's not really the same but i just thought i want to bring this up because those are very cool threads to be a part of so you should check them out if you haven't seen them yet <laughs> not really related to the discussion question but i thought it was worth bringing up anyway uh yeah no i agree those threads have been really fun yeah. um uh, yeah so i agree it'd be cool to see something i don't know how it would integrate into the story it does seem like a bit of an after story thing yes but, um, they are fun yeah um there were so many great answers to this discussion question in the thread for last week so if you haven't checked them out please do go and check them out but of course it's a new week so we have a new discussion question elliot Yes, uh, and so this discussion question is, uh, discuss the symbolism of something in the awakening ritual and how it might relate to the others or practitioners that are in the ceremony. So yeah. uh, we kind of covered our interpretation of those five pillars of human experience, but there's all the food. Um, there was a very, uh, there was a bit of a discussion on our Discord um, about the elements. So we know that holly maps to wood, mm. um, but mapping spice crystal myrrh and oil to the elements fire water earth and air proved to be quite uh, difficult. a very contentious yeah. discussion yeah so if you have an um, interpretation on that i'd love to hear it um i know i have yeah. mine and that is that they're all earth and none of the other elements play into it that's the only <laughs> thing i can think makes sense 
Um, yeah. So yeah, don't don't feel the need to cover everything because we have a time constraint. So even if you give us everything, we might have to cull it down to what our interpretation of yeah. the most interesting thing is. Yeah, so totally. um, feel free to just pick one thing and and talk about it in in terms of how it relates to all the others that interacted with it. But um, yeah, I mean, there's so much to play with in this awakening ritual, and it's all very interpretive. So I'd love to hear what interpretations people have. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, before we wrap up, since this episode I don't think has gone on very long yet so far, I think let's throw in a bit of a bonus bit. Um, if you haven't read Pact, this bonus bit is not going to be for you, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about some of this stuff in a segment we're calling Backed to Pact, which is where we talk about yes. some of the things that have happened so far in the story with the lens of Pact and what <laughs> Pact things might uh, influence our thoughts about this, so... Yes. If you haven't so if, read Pact, or if, if you haven't read Pact, uh, instead, thank yeah. you for joining us this week. Yeah, we'll if, see you next week. Instead of listening to this, go and listen to the Pact audiobook or listen to Deep Impact and start reading <laughs> Pact and catch up. Yeah. Um, for everyone else, let's start talking about some Pact spoily content. Yes. Um, yeah. God, where do you want to? Where do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, I want to start by talking about the setup of this council because as I was reading through this. A lot of what I was seeing and a lot of what I was thinking was comparing this to Johannes's domain from Pact, right? Oh, I, I think I think I, there were like two or three times in my live read, my tweet just amounted to eat shit, Johannes. <laughs> um, um, because this yeah. is basically what Johannes was trying to set up. This kind of other paradise of like a place where others could, one, be themselves and two, not negatively impact humans too much and that i mean obviously we don't well, know that for sure yeah, we'll what, see. based on what's going on here but that does this does seem to be the the kind of ideal of what johannes was striving for right i think it's going to be very interesting to track that comparison uh especially because our understanding of um johannes's thing evolved a little bit throughout pact yeah um and knowing yeah i'll be so interested to look at Kenneth at the end of the story and compare yeah. it to Johannes and see how I, how valid both approaches felt. Well, because there's yeah. certainly there's concerns about exactly how Johannes set his up, and I'm sure there will be probably some more oh, yeah. questions about I, what's I think existing here. Some of the things Johannes did were explicitly to minimise some of the problems that we might see in this story, right? Like Johannes did the whole thing with the vestiges instead of actual people because he didn't want actual people to get hurt whereas in this yeah that was to spread out the loss yes, basically whereas we're gonna see presumably some of these monsters even though they might seem relatively kind at first are probably going to cause pain for humans right like you kind of <laughs> can't get around that um uh, yeah thinking about pact and how how johannes was kind of an idealist and his vision got bastardized over the course of the story i'm interested to see will that happen here or will we see what it looks like for a like successful in air quotes implementation of this or maybe the point will be a successful implementation of this isn't possible and it's a kind of like a that argument against communism of like it's never been done properly versus it can't be done properly because of human you know nature yeah i desperately want to believe that Kenneth is what they say it is yes me too i struggle to but i want to believe yeah i'm with you there like it 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 can't be be as good as it seems yeah exactly (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. I wrote a bunch of notes here. I, I suppose we can quickly talk about like just little things like how there's a giant, um, like again, kind of tangentially related to um, 
Johannes' stuff, but they're so rare. And I love how yeah. the girls were just immediately overcome with like awe at the giant. Yeah. And they didn't even know why. It was like, it's not that cool, but we just like, you know, this, the spirits, I guess, just instinctively put this sense of like this thing special yeah. into you when yeah. you see it. It's yeah. really cool. Um, can we talk about Toad Swallow? I want to touch on this one. So this isn't uh, just you pack- mean turd swallow. Yeah. Right? So this isn't the- just packed spoilers. This is spoilers for poke as well. The supplementary yeah, material yeah. I was written. But we met a, a goblin called Turd Swallow, who seemed exactly like Toad Swallow. And Toad Swallow also makes reference to sanitizing his name. So I mean, like this must be the same character, right? Because well, I I actually remember. I'm like I'm like ninety nine percent sure when we covered poke and all packed up. Um we i mentioned how great turd swallow was and i'm sure wildbo was in the chat at that time and i remember reading a message from him that said he had big plans for turd swallow oh and i forgot that until i met toad swallow and i was like oh my god it i must think that's be the him. same character so it i'm, I'm convinced be. and and so clearly what this means is that poke by having connections to both pact and pale is actually the most important and central mm-hmm. wildbo packed work and you should read it if you haven't if you haven't delightful. read poke you have to it's so good <laughs> um yeah what else should we talk about i we've learned more about the awakening ritual and the kind of variations that you might see on it in this chapter um i mean just just from a sorry i, like, I guess to take it a little bit meta i just want to say like i was very curious how this whole system was going to work where wildbo you know was creating a second launch point into yes, this world. Yes. Like I was like, how is this still going to be interesting for us? Like I kind of was worried that, you know, for the first arc, we were just going to be getting stuff we already knew repeated at us. And and I was confident Wabo would find a way to make it interesting, but I really underestimated how much that was going to be true. Yeah. Like the fact that we already knew the awakening, what we knew about the awakening ritual going into this potentially, I think raised more questions for us than it did for newbies coming in. <laughs> yeah. They're just kind of taking it all as face value. Whereas I'm sitting here and I'm like the implications. Yeah, I know the implications of the awakening that BNR did in, uh, you know, bonds 1.4, whatever it was, uh, seven, 1.7, like, uh, yeah so okay so the first thing i want to talk about is miss explicitly calls out that the fact that these three are working together binds them together really tightly right and blake and yeah. rosa work together like was this part of the plan well, to intertwine them together or well they didn't i mean that's, well that's but they the weren't thing. in like, the Rose's same failed. circle but they did it at the same time is that, that no, no no remember rosa's failed and she had to redo it while blake was in the drains right Rose intentionally sabotaged her awakening, didn't she? Well, and so that's the thing for me that this is really done. Like, this has recontextualized a lot of that for me. And I wonder if this is secretly Wildbo's plan because I mm. think I've seen a lot of people who had the same interpretation as I did. Maybe he was frustrated with all of us getting it wrong. Mm. Um, I'd always thought that Rose had done the holy and iron switch. Yes. As her way of sabotaging no, it. But that's and that it never dis- made sense deconfirmed to me. here. Yeah. Well, uh, that had never sat right with me because I, I always thought that, but I was always like, but how did she change the book? Yes. Um, And so, of course, now we know, uh, like, this is a valid thing. Yeah, so both would have it, worked. And it, in fact, the fact that Rose was Holly versus Blake's Iron kind of mirrors their roles. I, it's actually the other way around. That's the crazy Sorry, thing about yes. it. Blake's, Blake's the one who had Holly. Wait. Um. No, sorry. No, you're right. Sorry. I'm wrong. No, yeah. Okay. I was going to say, wait, that can't be right. No. So, yeah. But so the point I want to make is like, what kind of idiot gives Blake the metal when he's like our wood? (laughs) When he's made of wood. No, but Blake is kind of the, 
I don't know, the like more modern, more like aggressive kind of vibe, whereas uh, Rose is the more, uh, I don't know, con- considered and careful and grown versus like forged, yeah. you know? Well, I think it's interesting. I don't know if we ever really gave it enough thought or, or time mm. in deep impact on the fact that Blake, as this kind of paragon of, of pushing things forward and make things better, his element was the old one. Mm. Um, like there's a bit of a like disconnect there um, that I, I'm only just having this thought now, so I, I'm going to think on it more before I have anything clever to say. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it just raises a whole lot more questions about like, Blake and Rose's awakening thing like did Rose actually fail it on purpose I, I'd i actually think there's now a valid interpretation where she was incorrect when she said that yeah I, I don't um, know it depends on how much you think Rose knew at the start of this yeah well I've pulled out the quote where she actually says it's right at the end of 9.1 and she says all I know is I fucked up my awakening ritual on purpose mm, right and, okay I mean that seems pretty definitive but then at the same time her her memories were like actually legitimately rewritten mm. um by the spirits i know the spirits are dicks but maybe they're even cool enough to be like okay that's fair like we're not going to forswear you for that one because like we did make you think that mm. uh, like maybe that was because there's there's a read where she failed it because she was in the world of the mirrors and spirits clearly work very differently in there and yeah. she was a vestige at the time yeah like she, she was not the one who had most of the humanity. Yeah. So it may have just failed, and that got rewritten after Blake got snapped by Ur. Yeah. As her thinking she failed it on purpose. Like there's a chance she actually didn't. I mean, wow. I, I don't. Know, it, there's a couple of stretches in there, but I mean, like otherwise, how else did it? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of windows. Yeah. Where she could have uh, yeah. Fucked she could have kind of just like rubbed a line out with her foot or something. Yeah. You know. Um. Yeah. I mean, so the the difference between the books, though, is interesting. Like, I think I kind of always said, oh, well, Rose must have sabotaged the book because that was my way of explaining why the books were different. Yes. Um, but now that's unexplained to an extent. Well, yeah, it never made sense anyway, but I kind of made myself believe it. So now it's a question of, do you think that was inherent in, was it a property of the Mirrorverse? Is it I a feel property like of it's the Granny book? Rose shenanigans. Is it Granny Rose yeah. shenanigans? Yeah. Like, it must be Granny Rose shenanigans. I don't know. Yeah, I like, I, and I don't know why <sighs> she could do it. Like, it, there's just so there's much. So like, much. We got to dive back into Pact again now, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just crazy how much this awakening ritual in Chapter Two of Pale yeah. m- made me sit there and go, "Well, this changes everything." Yeah, I know. One point seven of Pact. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's great. I mean, fun, fun thing as well. Um, we talked a bit about like the thread and whether it was imagination and creativity mm. or. Um, or fate yeah uh in blake and rose's book it was uh recommended that you use a dream catcher yes thread thing yeah that i always associate dreams with um creativity and stuff although there is there is a there is a small thing there with um like predicting the future like prophetic dreams Mm. could be fate yeah that feels like more of a stretch to me no i think it feels like it aligns more closely to creativity in that read Especially because, like, if you're ma- if you're using a thread to make a dream catcher, that's like creativity on creativity. I think that's a strong symbol <laughs> of, of what it is. Fair enough. Um, another fun thing that I noticed uh, when comparing awakening rituals, because I was doing a lot of that mm. um, to prep for this episode, the the three girls in pale had to have bread as one of their seven um, offerings, food things yeah. they provided. Uh, Blake and Rose didn't have that; they had six. 
Um, huh. They also had to provide a rose, although they didn't put that in one of the bowls. So I don't know if that maps one to one. But like again, there's just you know there's clearly a lot of variants in this stuff because there was just no there was no mention of any bread. They had the molasses, yeah, the vegetable yeah. oil, ash. Oh, no vegetable ash. Yeah, but they didn't have any bread. Interesting. I don't know so what to make I, of that. Yeah, me either. I was kind of like, that's interesting. Maybe I'll be able to make sense of it in six months. Don't know what it means just yet. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is just like the amount of regional variance in what you offer the others is mm. more than we thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much it could be. I yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Um. One last other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, old mate Charles, the Forsworn guy. I, I actually think he got a pretty good deal if he really is Forsworn. Yeah, because he he's not... Like Forsworn normally, well, the only other person, we, the the only other person we saw who survived it was uh, Fell's grandpa, and that didn't end up working out. Yeah, like you lose all the protections that you would get, and you keep all the vulnerabilities. Right, is the main kind of yeah. thing that we learned. And basically, what's happened is he's found a group of others that aren't just going to murder him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like, good deal, Charles. I mean, he's he's kind of enslaved, and he's kind of. Yeah, he's a bit of their dump truck for, you know, ailments. But I mean, again, like he was forsworn. Like, yes, it's not a good situation. Yeah. But by forsworn standards, it seems pretty good, actually. Yeah. Um, like compared to what Fell's grandpa got, I'd, I'd take Charles's deal any day of the week. Yep. Um, oh, should we Should we guess? And I'm sure that, like, because I'm quite disconnected from the rest of the fandom reading the chapters so late. Mm. Um for the live reads, I'm I'm sure there's already been a lot of this, but like, uh, what practices the the three girls might tend to gravitate Interesting. towards? Interesting, yeah. Um, there's also I feel like discussion, like, well, this is kind of separate but kind of the same around the fact that their personal items have had such significance really is evocative of implements to me, right? Oh yeah. Um, I don't think those count as implements. <laughs> But it feels like they're probably not going to choose implements because what we've got here is them doing their version of that. Um, potentially. I mean, we didn't learn much about getting an implement uh, in Blake's story. That's true. It uh, never really happened. He, no, he talked about it a yeah. bit with the hyena, which kind of ended up happening, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's the potential to, like, reinforce the power of these objects mm, even more. If true, they, by um, actually tangibly making them implements. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that in a lot of families, um, the, the kids bring the implement mm. they're going to have as their personal mm. item. Like, you know, if you're a Baham, yeah, like, Al- Alistair bring a may have watch used... And then, yeah. Yeah, yeah Al- Alistair may have used his tarot cards yeah, as, as his personal, his personal item, item yeah, in his yeah. awakening ceremony, true. you know? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually a fairly common thing because there's some like conceptual overlap between those two objects yeah yeah true um Um, but yeah to get back to your question about what practices they're going to go for i don't feel mm -hmm. like i have a clear enough understanding of that but uh, i don't know i don't feel like i have a clear enough understanding of all the various kinds of practices yeah yeah there's so many like you know we just let matthew's a host which i think he was a host Well, yeah, I, yeah. Is that is that a statement on what he is now, or the type of practitioner he was, or both? Or both. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I mean, Matthew is basically seems to be quite similar to what we saw with the. Uh, it was in. It was a chapter two uh, dot X thing. Vic. Right? Yeah. Vic and um, I can't remember. Lacey the, was I, it? Yes. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, which is yeah, uh, like it feels quite analogous to what has happened with Matthew. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah. I, I think that would be the closest, whether it's actually that close. Yeah. Don't be um, a I host prob- is the moral of these stories. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've got my fingers crossed that we're actually just going to find out that Matthew and Edith have a good thing going. Maybe. Maybe you're right. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I do get the I, sense spent, this story isn't going to be as dark as Pact, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I like. Maybe I should know better, having spent a, a million words in this world already. But yeah, I got my fingers crossed for some I positivity. Feel like, I feel like I'm getting the vibe. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel I'm getting the vibe that this is just going to be a more positive experience. I think there will still be conflicts, obviously, but I don't think we're going to ever go as dark as we did in Pact for some of the times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that would be a, a tough place to go with with three young female protagonists. Yeah, totally. Like, like that would be a bit more of a bummer. It'd be like putting Evan on the chopping block a bit. Yeah, um, especially in Avery's case. Yeah. Well, yeah, Avery um, is just Tiffany, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I wanted to say that during the episode, but I'd stop myself because it is a pack spoiler. But Avery to me is just Tiffany. Like, can't, they kind of are the same character type, and I love that because we didn't get enough Tiffany impact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah okay um any other thoughts any other packed spoilery thoughts before we zip this up for another few episodes oh there's two fairies in the town oh fuck uh, yeah so i know I say, right god i, I, no, I take leave. it back there's no this, this isn't gonna be a light story <laughs> i don't know maybe we can see what happens with fairies that aren't massive pieces of shit but i don't think that's possible i got the impression from pact that they're all that they're all like that like, yeah uh, you know, Maggie was perhaps the worst. Um, yeah. Was like, you know, like a particularly bad one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, it would be a very big surprise for me to learn that both of these two fairies are like. Nice. Cool. Yeah, but they live in like, <laughs> I don't know. They're not going around flaying skin, presumably, in this small town because they would get found out, right? I don't know. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, like, again, I, I wonder if this is something these poor three girls are going to get tied in because, like, the three fairy in Jacob's Bell, they were exiled, right? Yes. And and they were like presumably sort of check-ins to make sure that they weren't like they had all these restrictions on what they could and couldn't do. Yes. And, and like you know, uh, Maggie got in trouble uh, for kind of violating those. Yep. Uh, like I wonder if these two are also exiled fairies who are here, and if like the fairy court's going to come and do the inspection, and these poor girls as the practitioners are going to have to get embroiled in that oh, fucking God. dumpster fire of a situation yeah we so uh marisha and gilherm are the fairies uh marisha is the one with the sorry Ma- marishisha marikika marcy marcy sure um <laughs> is the one with all the wings and is a dark autumn fairy and gilherm is a summer above fairy I wonder, do we do we know what types Portrait, uh, El, uh, what was it, Keller and and Evelyn were from Pact? What weren't they waiting for the spring court? Yeah. So could we assume that they are winter fairy? Maybe. And if they're waiting for springtime, and then yeah. that would make Marcy and uh, Gilherm older. Yeah, I don't know. Like, because I think that was a bit of a thing, right? The fairy court sort of had phases that it moved through. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I guess we'll see. I'm just, it makes me very nervous to learn that there are actually two whole yeah, fairies. It's rough. Uh, in, I in don't this know. Town. Maybe, um, maybe it was that Podrick was just the worst of the fairy and these two are going to be super chill, but I doubt it. <laughs> no, well, because remember, Sandra went and visited some others. Um, yeah. A bunch. Like, true. The rest of the fairy were, we're also pretty, pretty shitty. Too. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, just because he was the <sighs> worst. There's a, there's a long there's a long way to good from where poor Drig was. Yeah, true. So even if he's the worst, it's still a long way to go. <laughs> yep. Um, but we'll have to see, I guess, uh, next time yeah. on Pale Reflections. Because um, that's the end of our show, Elliot. Yes. Um, so thanks to, you, thanks to those of you who are still here. Yep. Uh, presumably a lot of you are here from uh, Deep Impact as well. Yeah. Welcome back. Um, but it's good if, to have you back. If you're not, if you're not, give it a shot or tell your friends to give it a shot. Yep. Yeah. It's on this same feed. Yeah. It's a pretty fun podcast, if I do say so myself. Um, if you want to leave your answer to our discussion question, you can do that in our discussion thread. The question is talking about the symbolism of the items in the awakening ritual. And the thread can be found linked down in the show notes down below. Yes. Uh, and those of you who are still here will be the target audience of me saying that I do my live reads on Twitter. Yeah. Because uh, those have packed spoilers because i can't filter that shit live yep um so head on over to at media md podcast if you're interested in following along with those yes uh, if you want to support all of the great content that exists on the doof media network you can head to our patreon at patreon.com forward slash doof media there are a wide array of prizes that you can prizes perks i guess you'd call them <laughs> that you can get for supporting the network at various levels um and if you already do thanks you're great yeah um and and doofmedia.com is a place to learn about all the other things going on on doof Mm -hmm. um for those of you who somehow missed it uh there's a new worm show launching yes uh, a week about a week after this comes out i'm so excited for it yes me too i was actually very worried because i was like if we've got wardens what am i gonna yeah do with that time yeah Uh, i'm gonna have free time again that can't be right (laughs) uh i was like yeah how am i gonna get my like two hours of worm content a week and the answer is uh probably from matthias and clarence so uh go give that a look if if you haven't heard about that uh i'm very excited to follow along they've posted a kind of announcement which talks about the format that they're going to be doing and some of the ideas and uh invites you to send in some questions for discussions um so check that out that's on the doofmedia.com uh page website <laughs> yeah have we plugged um wildbo's patreon no we haven't uh, patreon.com now that we're back in the wildbo universe we can accordingly plug wildbo's patreon again wildbo is a uh, patron supported author which means he's only able to do this job that he does because people support him so be one yeah, of those so, people and- it's great and like, not only is he now pumping out the two chapters a week, but he's doing this like insane extra bonus content, yeah. which is so much fun. And the PHO so if, thread, which is wild. Yeah. So if you're not giving him money and you can afford to, yeah. uh, reconsider. Yeah. Enter through the coin it. and uh, leave it on Wabbo's <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> and then exit through the coin too, and, and double your donation. Yeah. Well, or, no, or give is it exiting the other through half the coin like, taking money back? Uh, enter yeah, through the coin, really about- give money, and then leave through the skull or something. <laughs> give all your money yeah. um yeah we didn't really talk about what the symbolism might be between entering yeah. and exiting yeah. um Bonus which again is like completely after the outro yeah well it's completely it's completely open to interpretation yeah, like that could be past future it could be right hand left yeah, hand yeah good tarot bad, shit. Yeah. like um <sighs> fuck, who leave knows? your thoughts on what that is in the discussion question <laughs> yeah yeah chuck chuck that in yeah. uh and you know if you if you're putting packed stuff in there as evidence we'll read it oh yes spoiler yeah it please threads, do spoil it. we'll totally read it because we have read packed but do spoiler it and um we'll respond to it but we probably won't read it out in the show no but we can try and talk around the spoilers hopefully yeah we'll see um anyway i think we're waffling woo! at this point so we should probably just call it call it an episode see you later no, folks s- nice short good one good short one yeah really we've 
We've really hit those uh, we've got ward numbers, Gosh, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> see you next time, folks, for another two-hour yeah. episode. <laughs>